This is Jane Smith reporting for WASP News. We report so you don't have to decide. Now, we're live outside of Sovereign Studios, where a protest has been taking place. Uh, sir, sir, what is going on here? We're going to put an end to his godless hedonism. He's corrupting the entire planet. Uh, you must be talking about the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. That's right. That sex fiend of an anarchist has crossed the line. We're going to rip his triple black clothing and then him to shreds. But Brian Sovereign believes in nonviolence. We don't care. He wants to end government and wants to pervert science and technology to do it. Brian Sovereign has to be stopped. This just in. Brian Sovereign is coming out of the studio. The Golden Stallion, the man of tomorrow, Savzu, the rated R radio star, here, but as often happens, well, not too often, I am not alone. I am joined by the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. You're never alone, because I'm with you. <laughs> you are not alone. Yeah, that's yeah. right. We heard that song. We did hear it. It was Mus- like some Mus- Thai guy singing it. Yeah, yeah, it was very weird. We were in a Thai <laughs> restaurant, and they had Michael Jackson Muzak. Yeah, yeah, which, hey, I love Michael Jackson, but I don't know. It's, you know, you can, some people have done covers of Michael Jackson songs, some more annoying than others, you know, but anyway, I, I, won't, I won't go into that. But uh, what I will say is that this is episode 250 of Sovereign Tech, which I cannot... Wow! Yeah, I cannot believe. First off... 250 episodes! I know. First off, it's an honor to have you on, love. I mean, it's, it's just... You. It's you. know, for it's this... It's an honor for me to be here. Yeah. Thanks for to, inviting me on your 250th birthday. Absolutely. To ring in this episode, I think that that's phenomenal. So, uh, I mean, and you're, of course, you're welcome on any time. Uh, but uh, So does that mean you've been doing the show every week for five years? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and so, oh I mean, God. yeah, yeah, it, it's, I, I lose track <laughs> of the years sometimes, but pretty much I just always say the show started in 2012, you know, and, and that's, that's how Oh, I well, that out. would make sense. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, exciting that it's episode 250. Originally I had some plans for episode 250. I was going to do some wild stuff. Uh, of course, I, I have an entire bevy of just amazing women 
uh, that that uh, were, would lend their voices and talents uh, to doing a fictional Sovereign Tech. That is still coming uh, in the very, very near future here. Uh, you know, but before you realize it, you'll you'll be listening to it. But won't be this week. But it, it's going to be. I got a great episode lined up. It's actually been. It's one of those episodes where it's almost all good news, which is amazing to me. Like that. Like that. That. In fact, I don't even know when the hell that's ever happened. Where, yeah, <laughs> where, in the history of Sovereign Tech. Yeah, why are you changing things now after 250 episodes of talking shit about technology? I, I know it's episode 250, and now all we have to talk about is just great news, you know. And in fact, it's amazing. This week, like literally within the seven-day period, we're recording this right now on November 4th, 2017. Uh-huh. And in the past seven days, the amount of amazing things that came out of nowhere. Uh, blew my mind. Well, some of them, I mean, I knew were coming, but but others really did just just completely come out of nowhere and caught me totally by surprise. And uh, but before I get into those, a couple things I want to tell people about. Uh, first off, talk about something that's that's good, all good news or mainly good news. I usually don't complain about too much in it. There is, um, uh, well, I mean, I just I I always load this up with with good news, and that's the Sovereign Tech newsletter, and I still get people signing. Oh, that's up. the best news. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. like Christmas. Yeah, every couple weeks you you get one of these um, with loaded with with stories, videos, uh, even shit to pick up if you want, you know, shit to buy, uh, and of course the erotic short fiction that everybody just runs wild over. In fact, last week's uh, issue number eight, people, I mean, the emails I've got. Woo! Oh, baby. I mean, I've had people really tell me that they read my short fiction uh, before they get into action, you know, uh, at at the end of the night with their, like, husband or boyfriend or something. And, I mean, that's amazing. You know, wow. So, anyway, uh, if if you're not getting the Sovereign Tech newsletter, you want to just go to zog.email, zog.email. That'll get your hookup. Uh, And also... Z-O-G. Z-O-G. Well, that's what they say in the Commonwealth. Um, and the other thing that you can pick up, and I've seen, in fact, I'm wearing mine right now. In fact, that's all I'm wearing. Uh, no pants. No pants. Sovereign Tech. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can get Sovereign Tech swag. You can get T-shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, whatever. Just go to store.sovereigntech.com. Um, I've just seen so many beautiful people around the world, literally around the world. I've seen people wearing, uh, you know, Sovereign Tech uh, gear. And I got my Sovereign Tech t-shirt. It fits so good. It's soft. It's good quality. It doesn't have an annoying tag. It has, like, no. you know, the label is printed on the back. So, yeah, they're they're good quality t-shirts, which you don't always find when you buy, like, a, a fan t-shirt of something. Yeah, and I have, like, the one I'm wearing right now, I mean, it fits like a glove. It fits phenomenal, actually, which, which is pretty you've hard. Been, you've been having trouble finding shirts that fit lately because you're getting so beastly with your workouts. Yeah. Your arms it, are huge, it, well, and you're having trouble you. with your t-shirts. <laughs> it, it, I'm having genuine in trouble they're either too big or they're too small but this fits perfect i i love it so anyway um do go to store.sovereigntech.com if you want to get that hook up or there's even a store tab if you go to zog.email like i mentioned earlier and uh and that that'll get you in gear and in shape so anyway let's start talking about the other good news the real good news that uh that i didn't put out there through the sovereign tech newsletter starting to write up this is something that i think it's one of the biggest Kind of, I almost felt like it was a snub, but I know it wasn't. But it was one of the biggest snubs going, as far as uh, well, my my favorite, and I think Stephanie, you might agree, uh, my favorite encrypted platform. Um, I'm not saying it's the best, but my favorite is Signal. 
the, the Signal app mm -hmm. for phones. I like Signal. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of the reasons that people don't never got on board with, or some people didn't were waiting to get on board with it, is they wanted a desktop client. They wanted a cross-platform experience that they that went you know whatever device they were on, it was working. Uh, now, there's been a Signal desktop app for years, but the problem is it only worked on Google Chrome or Chromium. Oh. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could make it work on Vivaldi, but bottom line being, you are going to have to install Chrome. Now, installing Chrome is bad for a few reasons. One is it's Google. I mean, that like it's ironic. You have this this gold standard of encryption of encrypted communications, and it's built on top of a Google platform. That doesn't make any fucking sense at all. You know, and I'm not talking about an operating system like Android. Android's just Linux. I mean, even though Google's been encroaching on it all the more. Um, I'm talking about like this is a browser where you have plenty of far better options to choose from. You know, and it, so it's insane that that you were required to install it from the, the the Chrome web store and you know and run it on Google Chrome. Again, you could use it with Chromium, but anyway, the other problem with Google Chrome is that it's it's the battery killer. I mean, it, it, on particularly on Windows and Mac, it just destroys your battery on your laptop. So, mm. it's not a good idea to install it anyway. Um and so it's always been kind of nuts that here is this, you know, fantastic privacy technology, but it's you know, again, it's built on on Google. You couldn't even, I mean, because most of the people that really give a shit about their privacy, what are they using as far as a web browser? Firefox. Firefox. Right, exactly. So why ice the cat. hell? Yeah, or ice, ooh, oh, that's sexy. I love <laughs> when you talk like that, when you talk all free software foundation on me. But but it never, it just, it didn't make any sense. Why the fuck would you, you know, why would this be on, on Chrome? I mean, I know the reasons why they did it, but it just seemed wrong. And so finally, this week, link is in the show notes for this. Finally, Open Whisper Systems, the developers of Signal, released a completely standalone app, a desktop app for Signal. Uh, now you still need Hello. to, yeah, absolutely. Now you still need a telephone, or I mean, you know, you still need a, a, a smartphone, I should say, um, because well, you know, it operates via phone numbers. You can't just install the desktop app and away you go. You know, it's going to need to connect to your smartphone via QR code handshake. Okay, but um, the other, but a couple of nice things that they did about this was first off is that when you download the standalone and they have it, it's completely cross-platform. They have it for Linux and they have great instructions for installing it on Linux. They have it for uh, Mac OS and they have it for Windows. Okay, um, the nice thing is, is that if you say you had it installed on Chrome, like on my laptop, what I did is I installed Chromium, and the only thing I never actually opened Chromium. I just used it to run the Signal yeah, desktop. So you sandboxed it a little bit. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And, and I mean, because again, otherwise, I wish I have no desire to have Chrome yeah. you know, on on my computer. Um, but what you can do is is you can when you install the de the standalone desktop app that they just released, you can actually just transfer all of your uh, conversations and contacts from the Chrome app into the desktop app. Uh, now, the other beautiful thing that they did is they didn't just release a standalone app. They deprecated the Chrome app uh, of it. Like, they, they they took it out of the Chrome web store. So you can't even install it in Chrome anymore. Oh, wow. Um, That's a pretty big step. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the right thing to do. I think because you need to just come out and say, I mean, it's almost like saying, look, we're sorry that we put this on Google. <laughs> you know, yeah. Why do you Google think Chrome. they did that right now? Oh, I, I think it's because it was such an easy platform to, to like, with, with Google, with Chrome itself, the, the extensions platform and the add-ons platform is, 
is very easy to build on and to transfer from, especially if you're, ta- say, taking like an Android app or something and baking it in. I mean, it, it and it, it's also, you know, Chrome is, is itself a sandboxed environment. Mm-hmm. Um, from the rest of the OS. No, I so. meant I. I meant like not why did they originally build the desktop app up, oh. upon Chrome, upon the throne of Chrome? Yeah. <laughs> but why did they deprecate it and come out with the the desktop app now that stands alone from Chrome? And oh, yes. Were they getting a lot of requests for it or something? They People they complaining. I, I mean, I was one. I've been complaining for years, uh, saying like at least have this available for Firefox. Mm. Um, and in fact, well, we'll talk about this more in a second. Really, they could have released it for Firefox now because Firefox has a Chrome uh, extension uh, compatibility layer built uh. into it now. But we'll talk about that more in a second. But the real reason, I mean, I don't know that it was necessarily to say fuck you, Google, that they deprecated it. But the real reason is is that we knew year, like two years ago that in 2018, Google said they were going to uh, Chrome apps, not extensions, but Chrome apps, were going to be removed from uh, uh, from all desktop versions of Google Chrome, so you wouldn't have been able to to get Chrome apps next year anyway. Oh, uh, so okay. it, it would have been gone all the same. Um, and we talked about this on Sovereign Tech. Now you still you can still use Chrome apps on a Chromebook, but you can't use them. Um, you know you can't use them on on like Windows or Mac OS on or Chrome anything and like Windows? that. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, all Chrome extensions are no, be- no, just apps. Apps. Okay, yeah, those got are it. they're two different two different things. Got it. Um, and there's really like now some people might might use Chromebooks because it is it's not a private platform, but it is it is a secure one in many ways. Some people might be wondering, well, then what do I do about running Signal Desktop on on my Chromebook? Well, I thought about at first I was like, oh wow, that sucks to have a Chromebook now, but not really because most Chromebooks and especially the new ones all can run Android apps. They have the Google Play Store on oh, them, okay. so you can just install Signal on on you know the the as the Android app and uh, and roll from there. Uh, so that that really shouldn't be an issue. So, but it's about time that this happened, um, and I think this is going to give a lot more usage and hopefully gain a lot more users. Uh, for the Signal app, and and I just I I think it's incredibly exciting uh, because Open Whisper Systems really has all the right moves. They do everything right, um, and and it's just nice to have this cross platform because it's my favorite way to communicate with people. You know, if it's like if it's something that really matters in many ways, this is the way I go. Uh, just because most people aren't going to use PGP, unfortunately. So, whatever. But. Um, yeah, yeah so. I think Signal's like a great compromise for for encrypted communications. Like, it's true, PGP never caught on. It's too complicated. Mm-hmm. Signal is a great compromise that people can really use, and they do really use. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, and and it was nice. Like the first day that I had it installed, um, it, uh, it it had an update, you know, and it said, "Would you like to install the update?" Or download and install the update, and I was like, "Yeah, absolutely." I mean, so it it works really, really well. It's so nice to have that as a standalone app, especially for it to be cross-platform to be available on Linux and uh, and Mac OS as well. Um, so now another thing that came out is Open Bazaar 2.0. Holy shit! And like I said, all this happened this week. You know, and we I, I've still got two more things to talk about that came out this week. Whoa! Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's wild. Um, and so Open Bazaar, of course, is the decentralized marketplace, uh, you know, based around a lot of, uh, you know, blockchain, crypto technology, mm-hmm. etc. Uh, and the main things that that two, that OpenBazaar 2.0 can do is it makes the, the software becomes a lot more 
uh, independent of itself. Like it doesn't rely so much on like I, I think there was still some sort of back end server stuff that 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 could be done to get your open bazaar business going. Um, it does allow for offline transactions now. Uh, I mean, there's and it just overall runs a lot a lot faster and smoother. Apparently, um, I've I've barely had the chance to touch it, but that's very exciting that Open Bazaar 2.0 came out. A lot of people have been looking for that, uh, and it really had. Um, well, I, I mean, this is just this is going further. I, I think this is the only thing that could really stop Amazon, and I think that in the future, probably a lot more people are going to use this to stay out from underneath Amazon's little world domination tour. So, technologies like Open Bazaar uh, are very, very important, in my opinion, for the really the you know the crypto anarchy future that we're heading towards, and we're genuinely heading towards that. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I believe that all the way, and I'm not the only one. There's plenty of mainstream news government organizations. Government believes it. Yeah, They're the, scared. <laughs> exactly. The government believes it, and, and they, they really do. We talked about that, in fact, in episode 200, kind of the last celebration we had. Uh, we had I, I talked about there was that leaked Pentagon video where in the training video, they're, they're specifically saying that we won't be able to stop this alternative economy. And honestly, technologies like Open Bazaar, whether it's Open Bazaar itself or it's something Open Bazaar-esque, uh, is going to be at the forefront of that. And I just think that's exciting as hell. So uh, really cool that Open Bazaar 2.0 came out. Um, next thing that came out is... <laughs> did, you have, did you have any comments you want to make on Open Bazaar? No, that's just, that's, that is good news. Yeah, I agree. yeah, I think it's really cool. Um, the next thing to, uh, that, that's now... Well, you can pre-order them right now. And I put the link in the show notes for this. Uh, there is a new, new model of the Trezor uh, hardware wallet coming out. Which uh, the it's called the Trezor Model T, which I think is that's kind of clever. You know, certainly the uh, the the Ford Model T definitely you know changed the auto industry. And you know, who knows? Maybe the Trezor Model T will be as as big a deal in uh, in in crypto. Um, They say right now. So the the main difference between the Trezor Model T, which is effectively the Trezor 2.0, they just decided to call it the Model T. Uh, The main difference is that it has a full color touchscreen on it. And from this touchscreen, you can pretty much, you can do a lot of what you need you to do. You can enter your PIN from the touchscreen instead of by clicking on the, on the screen of the computer that it's plugged into. Right. And their claim is, is that all confidential data appears right on that touchscreen. So that way you're not, you know, there's no screen grabbing. There's nothing, you know, no funny business going on, say, on your computer screen. Because normally how you interact, and you still will to some degree, normally how you interact with the Trezor hardware wallet is you, um, uh, you know, it's through your web browser. It's through That's like right, a web yeah. portal. You plug it in and then it uh, opens up a browser window. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so this one, a lot of it can just be done right on that touchscreen. It also has USB-C instead of USB, I guess, 2.0 or 3.0, whatever it was uh, previously, uh, which that's really cool, you know, because that's becoming such a popular standard. My, my you know, my new computer also, you know, it's, that's all it has is a USB-C. So I think that this is, uh, this is really exciting, a nice improvement. Um, it can do eight currencies right now, uh, and they say it's going to be able to do more. And they'll be coming out January 2018, uh, you can, like I said, you can pre-order them now. They kind of have a sliding scale on the prices, but I won't go into that. Uh, but it's interesting, you know. I was looking but basically, at basically the earlier you get it, the cheaper it will be. Yeah, pretty much. That's that's the gist. I mean, the interesting thing was is I was looking at the um, at the currencies, you know, the eight currencies that that it works with, and 
what I was kind of shocked by is that these are all, or a lot of them, minus Ethereum, because fuck Ethereum, uh, Bitcoin, Litecoin, Dash, which I don't mind, but Bitcoin and Ethereum. Litecoin, I'm a, yeah, I'm a huge, huge supporter of, but there's Ethereum and Ethereum Classic, which mm-hmm. whatever, but Zcash uh-huh. is on there, uh, of course, which I'm a huge supporter of, mm. and here's one that, boy, you've got to go back a couple years. Oh. But there's, there's one here that... Uh, now, I am super, super particular as to what cryptocurrencies and what blockchain technologies that I get excited about or that I even bother to talk sure. about. Yeah, makes sense to be yeah, particular about that. Absolutely. So because, I mean, you know, the attitude you want to go into when you're looking at ICOs or altcoin or blockchain anything or whatever is um, they're they're guilty until proven innocent. Yeah, like, I agree. That's yeah. a good. That's good. Yeah. Assume they're a spam, that, that they're a scam, a scam of some kind. Um but one that I reviewed years ago, and I said, I was like, you know, this this kind of this might have the right moves. This might have the right stuff. You know what what? And and I haven't heard much of anybody. Certainly not. And in fact, Stephanie, I don't know if you've heard anybody talk about it. But I did a full review. I did. I took a whole segment on this, and I said, you know, this really could end up being something. And you know what? I think it's something, especially if out of all the thousands of altcoins that are out there, it's one of the eight. Uh, 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 you know. Stock that, options. Yeah, Trezor uh, chooses to support. Yeah, on yeah. Trezor. And that's NEM. Really? Yeah, the new oh, economy wow. movement. That, wow, that's yeah. interesting. I talked about it. I remember that. I, w- I, I was like, what is he going to say? What is he talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and I said, I was like, yeah, you know, I have some It's questions. a dark horse. <laughs> yeah, it is a dark horse, but it's doing exceptionally well for itself. Interesting. So, hey, folks, you know, I don't, I don't want to brag, but... I'm <laughs> just saying. But you do want to brag. <laughs> but I, I, people, in fact, I've had, I've, I don't need to say it. I've had Sovereign Tech listeners email and they, they've, they followed some of my, not that I give investment advice, but they followed some of my calls and what I thought were serious. Mm-hmm. And they've done, they've said they've done exceptionally well for themselves. And I'm super, super particular. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe you want to listen to me about a certain sponsor of the of the new show is or of this show as well later on when we get to that. Uh, but I will say it here. Trezor, if you're listening, please add in Zencash because this is this is a currency in my in my opinion, this is going to be a currency to beat. Uh, mm-hmm. as far as all coins go. I'm very excited about it. So anyway, uh this is this is really cool uh that this is going to again it won't be available until 2018, uh, but I think it's a it, very slick looking device and, and I, I like uh I like so much of what it has going on for it. Now I do want to talk about a little Bitcoin stuff. We're gonna get into that, but before I do, um the couple other things that I want to mention that also came out this week, uh Fire or that were announced anyway. Uh Firefox fifty seven was finally announced. It's gonna be coming out November fourteenth. And I am waiting for this. I will right now. Would you believe it, Stephanie? I'm using Microsoft Edge on my laptop. I believe it only because I knew about it before. But if it, <laughs> this was the first time I was hearing about it, I would say, "Oh, no way!" Yeah, exactly. Who are you, and what have you done with Brian Sovereign? Right. So pretty much, I'm just waiting for Firefox 57 to come out because Firefox 57 is going to be when they imp- fully implement Project Quantum. They're going to implement their new extensions uh, or add-ons layer. Uh, all of these, all of these technologies that that Mozilla has been working on for about two or three years that we've been covering, um, that I've been covering, especially during the foreplay, which is what the segment we're in right now, um, that I've been covering for a while. You know. I mean, it's all going to finally come to fruition. This is what I was saying all year long. I said, look, come the end of 2017, 
Firefox is going to be a completely new browser. Still going to be open source, still going to be privacy centric, still going to be all that, but it's going to be a completely new browser. And so November 14th, here's your shot to see just how new that baby is. And I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to install it as soon as it comes out. Uh, going to have better men- memory management, better battery, you know, uh, battery management, I guess I, I could say as well. Uh, and I'm just, I'm really excited for that. So that's happening, you know, to and, and really exciting for it to refresh itself because uh, I think, you know, outside of the privacy community, Firefox has long been long in the tooth. I mean, people are just, you know, they, they don't care anymore. So hopefully this will allow them or, you know, give them the opportunity and an incentive to care again and maybe take control of privacy and get the fuck away from Google Chrome. Um, yeah, I need this is something I need to hear because I still I'm a Google Chrome user. Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and, you know, sympathy for the people that use Chrome. Like there's so many, especially if you're really into Google's universe, their, uh-huh. you know, their, their ecosystem. There's a lot of features that they only allow to work in Chrome. You know, and it, that's that's really really rough. Yeah. Uh, like Hangouts is very sketchy as far as where else it works, but so many podcasts and so many other things rely on Hangouts. Mm. So I understand. I get it. I you know I I'm not like, I mean in my opinion the best thing to do as far as that goes is that if it really if it's one of those features that only works in Google Chrome, like use Opera or something because Opera still uses the Blink engine and you can usually get away with whatever uh, you know Google has specially baked Blink. for browsers that use the Blink engine. It should be called Wink for the one eye. Duh. Well, it's interesting <laughs> that it's Blink in itself, but anyway. <laughs> you know, you ever take you ever take the Chrome symbol and put it on top of Google Drive? Oh yeah, it's That's a pyramid weird. with the one eye, isn't That's it? That weird. is funny. Mm. Gee, anyway, <laughs> maybe we'll talk about that a little later in this show because there is some wild news that came out. Re- genuine science uh, that, well, anyway, we'll save it, but we're going to be talking about the pyramids. Related to the pyramids. Yeah. What if you take the Firefox symbol and change the fox into a lizard wrapping around the world? That's 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 a little more overt, isn't it? Yeah, but you're changing it. <laughs> <laughs> where this is just... I know, just I'm just top. busting your chops. I know, I know. So the next thing to come out is, uh, and this is very, very interesting, the Razer phone, as in in R-A-Z-E-R, which is a very popular company among uh, gamers. They are often considered the Apple of the Windows world. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. And, I mean, Razer is very, very popular. And so they released... I, I think they released a new laptop, a new version of their Stealth Blade or Pro, uh, but they um, they they finally came out with a phone. Now it has interesting specs. I'm only mentioning it because it seems like because they're selling it. I mean, it's a really powerful phone. You know, it has the high end Snapdragon, it has like eight gig of RAM. I mean, just like like stupid specs. What's a Snapdragon? Snapdragon is the uh, like you know you ever think of uh, like a Pentium. Oh, like a so, processor. Yeah, it's a pro- it's the processor okay. from Qualcomm. That's their, it's their series. So, uh, it, you know, it has all the high-end specs and everything. Uh, battery life, I haven't really heard a whole lot on that. But Microsoft is, interestingly, they have decided to be one of the main retailers in their actual Microsoft stores and, I think, online uh, for the Razer phone. And that's all it's called. It's just the Razer mm. phone. And it's called a phone for gamers. Not that it's a gaming phone, but it's a phone for gamers. I don't, it's interesting. It's got plenty of power. It's like 800 bucks. I, I mean, I guess it could do worse than a Samsung. I don't know. Or I mean, I guess you could do worse, whatever. Uh, but I, I found it fascinating that that's coming out and that it has such a hard push 
uh, from Microsoft itself, which Microsoft seems to really, I mean, we already talked about it, that Windows Phone is effectively dead. Um, Android seems to be their 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 next area where they're really concentrating as their mobile battleground. Uh, I mean, even Bill Gates came out and says he uses an Android phone. Um, so anyway, I, I thought that that was fascinating that Razer's getting involved in this. It's not a shock because they bought a company called Nextbit, which became very popular for the Robin phone that they that they came out with. Uh, and so pretty much it was just a matter of time before they came out with a phone. Uh, but they did. If you're a fan of Razer, well, you probably already know about this. Uh, but I, I think this is going to be, you know, some pretty serious hardware. And I imagine more to come out from them. And I wouldn't be shocked if there's some kind of tighter integration uh, with with Microsoft uh, as far as that goes. And and it has a, a pretty pure Android experience, which is also pretty nice. So, so that, go ahead. I mean, that's interesting. But, like, the first thing I thought of was, like, what is, are people going to use it for? Like, mining cryptocurrency on their phone? And then I thought of, about that, so I was about to look in the Play Store to see if there are any apps to mine cryptocurrency on their phone. Oh, <laughs> well, I mean, the thing is, is that, you know, when, when you get into, like, Qualcomm chips, when you get into ARM processors, I mean, that, that's like a totally different development scheme to, to be able to, you know, then, then say your Intel, you know, your x86, x64 uh, kind of processors. So, um, yeah, I mean, what do you do with all that power? Sure, that's a great question. I mean, and especially since gaming... Yeah, I, I think mobile gaming sucks. That's why I, I applaud them almost for saying that it's it's a phone for gamers, not a gaming phone. Because um, you're really only going to be a gaming phone if you do something like Sony did with their Xperia line, like whatever that was, 10 years ago. Uh, almost, or Well, no, not 10, like five, six years ago, where they had, where it would flip up and it actually had a controller underneath it. Because that that's what stops phones from being gaming platforms, is touch controls suck ass, you know? And so you're very limited in what kind of games that you can play. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, you know, all those specs, that's just Razer for you. They just like to max shit out. And so you, in many ways, you're just buying a brand name, mm -hmm. you know, with, with Razer. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily anything that special, uh, in my opinion. I, I really think, you know, the, the two main things you want to look for in a phone today are, uh, you know, make sure it has at least 32 gig of onboard storage and then just let it ha make sure it has like killer battery life. Um, I don't think any company aside from Google or Samsung does it. Maybe Razer would be different. Uh, it does a great job of making sure they're up to date on the latest version of Android. And that's sad. But, you know, the main things that you want to look for are just like, in my opinion, again, just crazy battery life. Um, and, and having enough onboard storage. And then uh, really, otherwise, I don't think it matters. You know, don't concentrate so much on your phone. Spend more time on your laptop or, you know, do, do your big business on your laptop and everything, especially now since, shit, Signal works so great on, mm -hmm. on your desktop environment. So what the hell? Um, anyway, but, but what I saw of the Razer phone, yeah, it looked pretty nice. So, all right, Stephanie, let's get into, I want to talk about for a little while here. We have other stories we're going to get into, very interesting ones. Um, but well, before we do that, why don't we why don't we do a little little ad, shall we? Um, sure, let's do it. Yeah. So first ad, I guess uh, that that I'll put out there is something that I mentioned just a little bit ago with Trezor that hopefully they'd accept soon, and that is Zencash. They are an official sponsor of Sovereign Tech. I am so honored to have that team on board because this is a team. The team working behind the team behind Zencash 
which if you don't know Zenk, Zencash is a fork of Zcash. It uses ZK Snarks, uses zero knowledge proofs to create this entire encrypted platform that includes messaging, currency, all this other stuff. In many ways, they're trying to be, uh, uh, you know, they're almost like trying to be the dash of of, uh, of zero knowledge yeah. proofs, which I think is, I think that's a really cool idea. And they have really exciting stuff coming up, you know, secure nodes, all this different uh, business and uh, I'll actually be doing an interview with uh, kind of the head guy at Zencash uh, coming up so people can look forward to that uh, fascinating stuff. But anyway, but Zencash, if you are looking for that cryptocurrency that actually, that actually gives a shit about you as an individual, this is the cryptocurrency. And it has that, it has that privacy built in. It has that security built in. It's using the scientific breakthrough that is zero knowledge proofs uh i mean this is just such an exciting uh yeah i mean call an altcoin whatever it's an exciting cryptocurrency i you know and and like i said and stephanie you you know you can speak for this um like i am so picky about anything like if if i I thought too i'm definitely picky as and i'm excited about zcash and zencash as well right on yeah i mean if i thought zencash was bullshit I absolutely would not have taken them on as, as a sponsor. I've had other cryptocurrencies reach out to me about being oh, a sponsor. Oh, yes, you have. And I said no. I've yeah. had so many people say, oh, could you talk about this? Could you talk about that? And I just say no. Right out of the I'm like, no, I'm not going to give you I'm not going to give you the publicity. But I yeah. believe, I genuinely, like, I think that this is such an, such an exciting uh, crypto, uh, you know, platform. It's not just cryptocurrency. For this platform to exist, um, and, and I love that zero-knowledge proofs are, you know, the, they're out there. They're a reality now because I have, I've been talking about that back from the zero coin days for years. I've been one of its yeah. top proponents. Before there was even a, a Zcash or exactly. Zcash. You did. You talked about it from zero coin. So if people, folks who know the history will know about zero coin. Right, right. <laughs> when and now, it was just an idea. Exactly. And now it's here. Now we're now we're getting the implementations like Zencash. Mm-hmm. So you want to check out Zencash, go to zensystem.io. Uh and, and 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 get on this you want to be a part of it this is this is an evolution that's happening in my opinion zencash so exciting go to zensystem.io they just they look they already have an android wallet it's awesome and they you know the android wallet's out they just released uh, a, a couple weeks ago now they just released their cross-platform swing wallet so they they've got you covered whether you're on linux mac os windows whatever you can get your hookup you can get on board with this, and and there have been the price has been very very exciting as late. So check it out, Zen System, ZenSystem.io. That's the website. Get you some Zen Cash, and I cannot thank them enough for being a sponsor of Sovereign Tech. Woo! Be, woo! Yeah, baby. Because to be, I mean, to want to sponsor Sovereign Tech, you've got to have. It says something that they're excited about you. Yeah, well, right, right. I mean, and you've got to have a thick skin yeah. if, if you're willing to, like, like, you've got to appreciate something special if you're appreciating, you know, if you're willing to sponsor Sovereign Tech. So, you know, always, always frequent uh, our sponsors because they really, you know, they're all about the future. And that's what we're all about here is being the future. So anyway, uh, something that, speaking of crypto, now, Stephanie, you are one of the original and still a co-host uh, or host, I should say, mm-hmm. of Let's, Let's Talk, Talk Bitcoin, Bitcoin. Yeah. which is the number one, in mm-hmm. my opinion, uh, and I, I don't think it's just opinion, the number one Bitcoin podcast and cryptocurrency podcast in the world. Yeah, just that's right. Bar none. Uh, it's the only one that I know of that really has like an entire network built around it. I mean, this is the real, Let's Talk Bitcoin is the real deal. I don't need to introduce it. Everybody knows. Um, 
Now, there was, did you talk about this on the show? There was a back, and this is before we even really get into our main story, though these can all kind of play off of each other, because we're going to talk Bitcoin for a little bit. Uh, cool, we let's have, talk Bitcoin. Yeah, because we've got the crazy hard fork coming up, or potentially, I mean, there's all kinds of crazy shit going on. So, there was a report back in September that supposedly James Altucher came out and said that by October 26th, Amazon will be accepting Bitcoin. And this is the claim, is that hmm. he was going well, to... Let me just check the date well, here Yeah, wait, when are we recording oh, uh, this? Let's see, Saturday, Saturday November 4th. November 4th. So hmm. wait, so was there any big announcement so, that Amazon accepted no, Bitcoin? I didn't hear anything about it. I think I would have heard that. Yeah. yeah. What the hell is no. Well, happening? maybe it's because Amazon isn't accepting Bitcoin. Oh, jeez. <laughs> now, wait a second. No. <laughs> well, <laughs> well done. Uh, but... <laughs> So did you did you talk about this on the show at all? This we report? actually didn't. You did not. No, and I think it was because everybody recognized that it was it was just you know there it was insubstantiated. There was nothing to it. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Now some sites in the beginning of October. Again, this was announced in September. Some sites in the beginning of October said, uh, no, actually, this isn't, like, James Altesher didn't exactly say this. It was really just some kind of advertisement for, like, some course of his on cryptocurrencies or something. Oh, like a Facebook ad that says, will Amazon take this new currency? Find out before it's too late. That's apparently the deal. But some very big names, and I can't tell you how many people emailed me or got in touch with me in some way saying, looks like you're wrong, Stallion. Because I have been the number one, well, I don't know if anybody else has really said this. I have said from, from, for years, when a lot of people were saying, oh, it's, a mat, it's only a matter of time before we get Amazon to accept Bitcoin. I said, they never, ever will. It just won't fucking happen. I said, unless you've got to understand Amazon. And that's the thing, is that most of these people, yeah, great, they know cryptocurrency. That's awesome. It's great to be a specialist in that field. Okay, but there's areas where I am far more the specialist. And let me tell you about Amazon. Okay, if it doesn't come out of Lab 126, they're not, which is their like Google X, that's kind of their skunk works, they're not going to fucking use it. They just won't. I mean, this is, and I, I know Amazon. I'm the guy who, way ahead of the rest of tech journalism, has been telling you exactly what Amazon's going to Now everybody's like, oh, Amazon's eating the world. Oh, Amazon's the real tech giant. I said that in 2013. Okay, I like I, I've been on top of this the whole time, and I told everybody. And we, and if you listen to Sovereign just back in September, I responded to everybody's email asking me about this. You know, is Am, is Am, do you think Amazon? Are you finally wrong? Is Amazon going to accept Bitcoin? I said no, they're not going to. I'll stand by that all the way. I just know they're not. And and again, my my evidence is is that. Like I said, they don't do anything that they don't develop themselves. Like if it doesn't come out of their lab one two six, they'll say fuck it. I said no. I did give the caveat. I said maybe they'll accept the new payments received API, which allows for integration of cryptocurrencies. But they'd just be accepting the API. They're not going to hold Bitcoin. They're not going to accept Bitcoin. Uh, but bottom line being, I was right again. You know, like I, I was I was dead on. I, I said it. And in and, and my statement that I've been saying for almost five years now is still absolutely true. They are not accepting it. They won't be accepting it. Um, and, you know, for me, that's the bottom line. I mean, Stephanie, what do you, what do you think? Do you have any, any take on Amazon accepting Bitcoin, uh, you know, on anything that I've said? I just don't see any reason that they really would, 
You know what I mean? They're already the biggest retailer in the world. They have no problem getting people to give them their fiat dollars. Why would they accept Bitcoin? They don't really need to. Half the money spent on the internet. I mean, and that that is a literal statement. Yeah. Half the money spent on the internet, or half the U.S. dollars spent on the internet anyway, goes to Amazon. Literally half. 50 cents to every dollar. Every dollar of $2 spent. Literally half. Of, of U.S. dollars goes to Amazon. Why the fuck do they need to take anything? You know, I mean, like, this, it, it's just, right. I mean, it, because, you know, that would be a pretty major shift. I mean, like, there's a lot of new security that they would need to implement. I mean, this isn't, you know, integrating Bitcoin isn't an easy thing. And they're, and why would they want to play ball with Coinbase? I mean, like, there's, there's no need for them to do this. Yeah, exactly. They don't want to deal with Coinbase or BitPay either. Right. If the, Jeff Bezos wants some bitcoins, I'm sure he can buy them himself, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and what's abundantly clear that Amazon is trying to do now is they are trying to leapfrog categories, okay? If they were going to start doing... What does that mean? Uh, what I mean by that is is that instead... And I mean, they tried their own smartphone. It failed miserably, okay? But ever since then, they're like, okay, we'll create new categories, meaning that, all right, we're not going to concentrate on smartphones anymore. We're just going to skip right to Alexa. You know, we're going to skip right to the uh, Amazon Echo. Okay. Um, I mean, and and just like uh, they're not coming out with like a VR play, well, supposedly they're going to be releasing their own glasses. I, I mean, like like there's a lot of different. There's all they're trying to create categories now. They're not trying to play ball with anybody else's. Or I mean, yeah, they're playing ball, but they're not trying to uh, really seemingly take advantage of any platform that exists out there right now. So I mean, they technically already have a digital currency. They have Amazon Coin. That's a real thing that you can buy right now. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's different. They have their in own how, gift cards as well. That right. Are it's kind of like serve the same purpose essentially. Oh yeah. And in fact, I would argue that the Amazon gift cards are the most valuable currency in the world. I mean. They're certainly used for money money laundering just as much as uh, yeah, <laughs> as cryptocurrency, if not more. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah, there's no if if they're going to do cryptocurrency, they'll do their own. And you know what? If they slap the name Amazon on it and it works like an actual crypto cryptocurrency, not like Amazon Coin, where it just buys some software, um, I think it'd be huge. I think it would go over really, really big. And they, you know, they they had like an Amazon wallet, even though I think they deprecated that, but. Uh, but anyway, th- yeah, th- look, folks, <laughs> no, I wasn't wrong. No, you, you know, I mean, my, my point still absolutely stands. Um, and Stephanie, you're right on. They, there's just, I mean, and that's that's part of my point, too. There's no need. Like, th- like, they really don't need to do it. They are not losing out. How could you possibly say they're missing out on so much money? What money are they missing out on? You can only spend so much on one website. I mean, and they're getting all of it. They're getting half of every U.S. dollar spent on the site. What money are they missing out on? They're not missing out on shit. Like, that that, that just that drives me up the wall when people tell me that, well, you got a lot of Bitcoin hodlers that they would spend on Amazon. You already do. You use Purse.io. Or, or you go to Gift. Or Gift, yeah. You, you know, and you buy a gift card. Mm-hmm. Shut up. Man. <laughs> yeah, no, there's real, there's literally no reason for Amazon, or no good reason for Amazon no, to No, and they're not missing Bitcoin. out on any money. They're not missing out on a single dollar. They're just, they're, obviously, they're not. They're getting half of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I get all excited. It just, it just drives me nuts, these people. Uh, so, anyway. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so... They don't need it to pay their Turks or anything. They just pay them in Amazon gift cards. They can send those anywhere in the world through right. email, you know. Yeah, right. There's literally no reason no, for yeah. them to take Bitcoin. No reason. So, anyway, let's get into... Let's let's talk about some Bitcoin while, while we're on the subject here. Uh, because we got a big fork 
coming up. Which... Oh, I can't keep track of all the forks. Well, actually, I can, but I mean, yeah. it's like it's getting kind of ridiculous. Like it is. <laughs> so, so the first, so what we have is what's going to was what is right now the ticker symbol is is I think they're calling it B two X. B two X, yeah. Okay, B two X, which stands for. Uh, well, it's a reference to Segwit two X, which there was an agreement came to i guess earlier this year the new york agreement back where, in may right back in may yeah where a bunch of um industry folks companies and develop bitcoin developers came together and said okay we're going to implement two solutions that are considered you know modest moderate proposals to help address the bitcoin scaling crisis one of them is segwit segregated witness which kind of um, allows you to fit more transactions within a block. It kind of compresses down the transactions and uh, doesn't change the block size. And then we're going to also later on, once SegWit is in in, in Bitcoin, we're going to increase the block size to two megabytes instead of the current size of one. So that's why the proposal was called SegWit 2x because it was integrating segregated witness and it was also um, increasing the block size to two megabytes later. But SegWit was first, okay? And so that has already come and gone. The SegWit is in Bitcoin now. SegWit has been. Yeah, it's just a software update. It yeah, didn't require it, like a hard fork. It did not require anything. a hard fork, so right. that was easy to, enough to put into Bitcoin. So that's been put in. It's it's in there, and uh, so the first part of the agreement was fulfilled. Now then, they said, okay, once we do SegWit, then we're going to increase the block size later on in November. However, now now that SegWit is in Bitcoin, there are some people sort of going back on that and saying, well. You know, we actually don't really need to increase the blue, the the block size after all to two megabytes. So there's a faction that's split on whether the planned increase to of the block size to two megabytes in legacy Bitcoin should go forward or not. So right. apparently, there's going to be a fork of Bitcoin. The main the mainstream core developers, I guess, of legacy Bitcoin are saying, no, actually, we don't want to increase the size. Right? Is that correct? And the people who do want to increase the size, that's the fork. Yeah, that's yeah. You pretty much got it. So the deal that's happening is, is that the core, the bulk of the core developers think that it's too quick to not not. They're not saying they don't want to do the two meg thing, as I understand it exactly. They're saying it's too fast. Like you, you don't want to do this in November, and this is coming up November sixteenth. Supposedly is when they're going to implement when this hard fork is going to occur. So, but the that sounds awfully sketchy to me. Like, why would they go back on the agreement that at least some of them signed on to and. And now say, oh, well, actually, it's too fast. Like, it sounds like they're trying to sort of warm out of it. Right. No, it does. And and this is the thing. So the New York agreement that happened back in May, pretty much what you had was you had 80% of the hashing power of Bitcoin make this agreement. So, yeah, is that 100% consensus? Mm. I guess it's not 100%, but there's problems with getting 100%, or there's there's issues even when you get 100% consensus. Oh, yeah, anyway. 80% is pretty good for how contentious this was. Exactly. So what's happening is, is that a lot of the big boy miners are coming out and saying, We're, well, if the, if, you know, these whatever elements of the core developers aren't going to implement it, we'll implement it. Because because we need it now, so it's kind of the miners that are in, or some of the miners, not all, uh, that are really behind um, Bitcoin two X, which is is relevant and kind of earth shattering because you know they're the ones that I mean yeah core develop you know the the core developers that don't want to do it sure they're the core developers and you know that that certainly gives them some some uh, cachet, but 
we're talking about the people that actually secure and make the network go round and round that are saying, no, we're going to do Bitcoin 2X. So there's a very real chance as to where I think there's absolutely zero chance that Bitcoin Cash would ever end up being the actual Bitcoin. There's a very real chance that Bitcoin 2X could become the real Bitcoin, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because there's, I mean, you're having, you're going to have so much mining power, um, you know, behind it. Uh, and so, yeah, I feel... I mean, what do you, what do you make of this, Stephanie? Do you do you want to give any gist on it? I'll explain what to do, how to claim Bitcoin two X. Uh, what when before you know when November sixteenth rolls mm-hmm. around, what you can do to do that. I will I will break that down because you're going to get kind of like what happened with Bitcoin Cash, where there was the snapshot right on August first, mm-hmm. where if you if you know say and this is important you want to hold on to your private keys right do you want to explain how you get how you end up getting bitcoin cash and then yeah sure so like what when the bitcoin cash forked on august 1st 2017 there was a snapshot taken of the blockchain at that point in time right and if you had any bitcoin in any bitcoin address at that at that moment in time on august 1st after that point in time you had that original Bitcoin, nothing changed with that. But then you also had Bitcoin Cash in the same address on the Bitcoin Cash blockchain. Now, after August 1st, there were two there were two blockchains, right? And so to redeem and to be able to access your Bitcoin Cash, you had to import your private keys into a wallet that supports Bitcoin Cash. And, you know, nothing would happen to your your Bitcoin, uh, your Bitcoin would still be there. But if you wanted to be able to move the Bitcoin cash, you had to import the, the private key of the address that had both the Bitcoin and the Bitcoin cash in it right. <laughs> into a wallet that supports Bitcoin cash. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and it'll be the same thing with any fork of Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitcoin gold, which was, I think, October 24th. Yeah. Same situation Although there. Although I, I don't know of any. Well, didn't you say there was a wallet that supports Bitcoin gold? I haven't. I don't know I of a wallet. Heard of any? Bittrex came out and said that they were going to give you Bitcoin gold. They were going to do one for one. Okay, but was that only if you had Bitcoin in their exchange at the yes. time of the fork? Oh, okay, yeah, so, same okay. concept where there's that snapshot moment. Um, it's hard because a lot of exchanges said they weren't able to support Bitcoin gold because the code base was was like in beta, like it wasn't final yet at the time of the fork. Mm-hmm. So until the developers of Bitcoin gold release the final code. A lot of exchanges and um, wallets won't be able to support it. Right. Yeah. Bittrex said they'd come out and do it. I don't know of many other. I don't actually. I don't even know of a, of a wallet that. I'm sure it's out there. But like even when Bitcoin Cash did its thing, the only wallet. Yeah. Out there, it was extremely sketchy for a while. Yeah. It was this elect. It was this like this rewritten Electrum. Yeah. That that allowed for it. I mean, there was uh, Trezor apparent, which we mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, which kudos to them. They were on top of it, uh, but. Yeah, it, it was it was very questionable as to like how that could even work. And with Bitcoin Gold, same deal. I mean, there, there's issues with Bitcoin Gold. Uh, the main one that I've heard about, you know, of course, is is the fact they did like a twenty thousand coin pre mine or something, which you know a lot of people trust Bitcoin because mm-hmm. there was no there pre-mine. was no pre mine. I'm sure there's reasons they do it. I mean, every altcoin that does a pre mine has a justification for it. Like, well, we mm-hmm. have to pay our developers somehow. We have to reward the developers somehow. Right. But, you know, uh, people, uh, regular users, are not big fans of that, generally. We've seen this movie before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's other concerns around Bitcoin Gold, too. That's not even something I'm really going to, gonna, you know, delve into. Bitcoin Gold is just like Bitcoin Cash, except they remove the emergency, just, the emergency difficulty adjustment. Right. 
as far as I understand. There are a few other changes too, but which, I don't really know what they are. Yeah, I mean, which I can kind of understand that that move because I think yeah, because it's actually a big problem with Bitcoin Cash because right. it's creating this incentive for miners. As soon as it becomes profitable to mine Bitcoin Cash, all the, like a lot of miners who are mining other stuff jump on board with mining Bitcoin Cash. And then you have this thing where there's blocks like every 10 seconds until the difficulty goes up to the point where it's not as profitable to mine. So then everybody jumps ship or a lot of the mining power jumps ship. And so then you have blocks that are like lagging, like not for a couple, several hours. And then if that keeps going on for long enough, the emergency difficulty adjustment kicks in, which was only supposed to happen once when it originally forked from Bitcoin, because they had to adjust the difficulty down because the difficulty would be at the same level as Bitcoin, but there wouldn't be as much mining power on Bitcoin cash. So it's supposed to be just just for the fork, but it's still in there in the code. And so at any time, there's not enough mining power on a Bitcoin cash to generate blocks like fast enough so that the algorithm doesn't adjust the difficulty downward. Um, it's going to adjust downward and then it'll become really easy to mine. And then everybody jumps on because it's really profitable to mine. There's a block every 10 seconds, which is way too fast. And then it's like this accelerator break, accelerator break. So that's a problem for Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. When I first heard about it, I actually talked about it on a Patreon episode uh, of Sovereign Tech because a lot of people asked me about Bitcoin Cash and what was happening. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's not a terrible idea. Okay. But then an implementation suddenly, you know, when I looked at it and thought about it more, I'm like, you know, this could be gamed way too easy. Like I, I could really see this becoming a problem, you know, that, that, that kind of idea. Uh, so, I mean, wh- whatever there, there's people who would be for it, people against it, you know, the same with, with any of these things. Um, so yeah, so, so, all right, we kind of covered like what Bitcoin gold and Bitcoin cash do. I mean, now Bitcoin 2X, again, all that's really doing is it's going to be, it'll be, you know, legacy Bitcoin, which is what you're calling what the Bitcoin core team is pretty much is standing behind and what Bitcoin has been for a while. Um, but they're going to implement that two megabyte, uh, increase. And that's, that's the main, that's really the only difference as far as I can tell between the two. There are, there were concerns that they weren't going to be able to do replay protection, uh, which means you could, you couldn't prevent like double spends and whatever in that When the chain is vulnerable and young. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I think Garzik, Jeff Garzik came out and said, no, no, we can do that. There's an opt-in replay protection that could happen. So that's not necessarily uh, a concern at this point, but I guess I'm curious, Stephanie, I mean, if you want to draw your line in the sand here, I mean, how, how do you, and if you don't want to just say you don't want to, but like, I mean, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about Segwit? How do you feel about the two megabyte increase? I mean, like, like what camp, what, what Pope are you going to follow? (laughs) Real quick, like this is something I said when Bitcoin Cash was was happening, you know, back in uh, uh, I guess this would have been in July when I talked about it. Um, I said like it reminded me of uh, of you know during medieval times where there was this this you know huge schism in the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. where he ended up with two popes, and it was such a bad situation. Nobody can decide which pope is the real one. um, That like the, the the College of Cardinals had to come out and elect somebody completely different. Like so, for a little while, you had literally three popes. You know, uh, uh, you know, calling down from from on high. You know, whatever divine justice happened to be at the time, and and amazingly, we're not just and and, and I said at that time actually. So another prediction here that came right on. I said there's going to be three bitcoins. Now there's actually four theoretically. <laughs> yeah. Even though I I would argue really that. Uh, more particularly that Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Gold are really just altcoins. Mm-hmm. Um, Bitcoin 2X, feel I feel a little bit differently um, about it. 
But, you know, I'll just say quick, while, just while I'm thinking of it, and I want to get your take. Um, I, you know, I mean, I think this kind of had to happen because there is there does seem to be a bit of oh, a yeah. civil war going it on did between have Bitcoin to happen. Cash and legacy I, Bitcoin. I agree. It definitely had to happen. I mean, the, the, the debate was getting so contentious. And, you know, for a long time, I actually really avoided trying to pick a side in this because... Mm-hmm. A, I didn't. I knew that I didn't understand all the technicalities, and I never was going to because I'm just not. I don't. I'm not a computer scientist. I don't have that technical understanding. But you know, from what I could see, there appeared to be very funny incentives on both sides, honestly, yeah. Yeah. or on all sides. <laughs> you know, I mean, on one hand, you have Blockstream, which is a, a giant uh, <laughs> conflict of interest. You know, to well, say explain that. Okay, so Blockstream is a company that is working on uh, creating technologies like side chains and payment channels or lightning network that basically um, want to use want to use the Bitcoin blockchain as a settlement layer and have smaller transactions occur off chain on company servers and things like that and on um, and you know to to um, yeah, it treats the the Bitcoin blockchain it, 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 as a settlement layer. Yeah, and it allows, quote unquote, it allows Bitcoin mm-hmm. to do all these things that, like, say, any of the altcoins, even like what Ethereum does and right. all that. You could create like a Turing complete side chain, I suppose. But then uh, whatever gets done on that chain gets confirmed for all time on, on, the, the, Bitcoin the, on the main Bitcoin blockchain, which has the you know the network effect, which has the security of so many miners, uh, you know, and and all of this. So, but why? So. Yeah, so you're explaining, what, and which I I I agree with that this is might be what they they have in mind, what Blockstream has in mind. Well, I, I just think they have an incentive not to want the blocks to get bigger, right? Because, because it would incentivize people to use their products. Yeah, and they employ a lot of Bitcoin Core developers. Yep, they happen to have a lot of them on their payroll. No, they're, they're the Google of Bitcoin. They really are, in my opinion. Yeah, and to me, I mean, I I actually don't think that. The blockchain as a settlement layer is really like in line with Satoshi's original vision for Bitcoin. Sure. I don't think Satoshi intended it to be that way. Maybe Satoshi would have been like, well, I don't really know. Let's let's see <laughs> what happens. But it was pretty clear that Satoshi, like the one megabyte block block size limit was a temporary measure that yes. was not meant to be that was not meant to go on this long. It's just that it never got fixed before Satoshi kind of bowed out of the project and right. it just it it just stalled and it didn't happen. So I do think Satoshi would have wanted the block size limit to be raised at this point by this point in time, you know, mm-hmm. nine years later after the original white paper. So I think Blockstream's incentives are not necessarily aligned with Satoshi's vision of Bitcoin. Or what's best for Bitcoin. Well, I mean, what's best for Bitcoin, it depends on who you ask, right? That's a good for, point. For them, that is what's best for Bitcoin, right? But <laughs> for those of us who are excited about about the things that you know, originally got maybe like you and me interested in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not necessarily best for Bitcoin. And also, but uh, but then on the other hand, on the other side, you know, you have Roger Ver and Jihan Wu who kind of t- teamed up to promote uh, like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Unlimited at the, previously. Um, and, you know, are for raising the block size and stuff. And like Roger has a really powerful marketing platform with Bitcoin.com and Jihan is like re- in charge of like 
a lot of mining power. Yeah. Like, the, you know, they stand to gain a lot of money from uh, something like Bitcoin Cash. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly their attitude, I think, is is that they're saving Bitcoin. Like that. I agree. And I believe yeah. that they really believe that. At least Roger. Mm-hmm. I don't know Jihan, but I did. Right. But Roger was someone who have known from the beginning of Bitcoin. And yeah. I, I yeah. like him personally. And I, I and I agree. So but but I can see like, you know, during this whole contentious debate about do we raise the block size limit or not? I could see that it looked like there were there were definitely like conflicts of interests and perverse incentives on all sides, like all around. Yeah. Everybody looked a little bit bad, dirty, I guess, yeah. <laughs> in that sort of fight. And so I was like, oh, my God, like, it's really hard to kind of pick a side in this, you know. Mm-hmm. But lately, I actually have been feeling more like I'm siding towards the like I like Bitcoin Cash. Really? I, yes. I like wow. Bit, I like Bitcoin Cash. I think the block size does need to be increased in a significant way. Okay. And I don't think that that would hurt Bitcoin. I don't think that at this point, you know, that it's it's not going to have a centralizing effect to raise the block size limit to, you know, 248 megabytes something like mm-hmm. that. I think Bitcoin Cash can even go up to like one gigabyte blocks, which is a little big, extreme. But, you know, I mean, maybe that's again, I don't know the technicalities that super, super well. But I mean, it's hard for me to imagine that nine years later, the hard drive space and the bandwidth infrastructure hasn't caught up to the point where it would be okay to have bigger blocks and most people could still be able to store as much of the blockchain as they wanted to, you know. Yeah, because there was this concern about the about the centralizing effect of if you increase the block size limit, it's going to lead to these big bloated blockchains that are not going to fit on people's personal computers, and they're not going to be able to download through most people's internet connections. And it's going and the blockchain having a copy of the full blockchain is not going to be accessible to is going to be accessible to fewer and fewer people, and that's going to create a centralizing effect where. You know, if if nobody can have a copy of the blockchain, what is what is even the point? That's against Satoshi's original vision, right? Sure. So I I could see I could sort of see that argument, but like again, you know, some increase beyond one megabyte that's ridiculous to have one megabyte blocks at this point in time. It yeah. needs to be increased. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really in many ways is an arbitrary number. I mean, I, I've brought this point up many times. I never hear anybody else bring it up. I don't know why it, it seems like absolute common sense and, and a common sense conclusion. Um, and that is, I mean, Bitcoin came onto the scene in many ways pre-cloud, like before the cloud was such a big deal in the in the tech industry, uh, and the trajectory at the time. You know, we're talking 2009, right? Things like this. The trajectory at the time was that in five years, okay, everybody would have eight terabyte hard drives in their laptops. Everybody would have, you know, 10 gigabit internet. Mm -hmm. Um, I I mean, especially if, and I've said this again, I've said this a million times for years. If Satoshi really was Japanese, I mean, Southeast Asia, you're used to three gigabit internet and all this stuff mm-hmm. like none of these things would have been a problem the the increase of block size really wouldn't have been an issue um, now i mean i have a unique take of where i think bitcoin needs to be and you know where i would want it to go because uh, i'm kind of anti-growth on it so you know i i appreciate your stance on like saying yeah you think bitcoin cash is kind of the way to go i mean do you have like I mean, and you don't have to get into the technicals, but do, like, are you against the concept of SegWit 
uh, you're obviously not against increasing the, the the block size, but are you against the concept of SegWit? I mean, it could just be a yes or a no. It doesn't, you know. Uh, no. Although, I don't know. I, I again, I don't understand the technical stuff well enough to really comment on that. Sure, but in principle, it's... no, I'm not against SegWit. Right. Right. Yeah. Me neither. Actually, I, I'd like well, as, as I understand it, what SegWit does segregated witness is that it makes it so that it compresses the transactions a little bit so that you can fit more transactions in a block it creates a little bit more room in the blocks by by compressing the transactions not by changing the size of the block mm-hmm. and in principle i don't have any problem with that but i also don't think it's going to be enough to completely address the scaling issue yeah, sure so so usually so i would i guess i would support segwit 2x Okay, well, I mean, what, what are a lot of people run into a problem with SegWit? It's, I mean, SegWit does a, does exactly what you said. It also allows for really, like, in many ways, it's a compatibility layer. And, like, SegWit is what allows for the Lightning Network to attach to Bitcoin. Granted, you can have SegWit without the Lightning Network. You might ask, well, what's the point? Well, that's another conversation to be had. Um, but I don't, I don't mind having a technology built into the software that allows for some expansion of what say bitcoin can do like i i don't think that that's necessarily a terrible idea but there are people who do think that it's a terrible idea and that it can lead to double spends it can lead to all other, all other kinds of bullshit um so and and i, I can appreciate you know that those stances i get it um uh, but yeah all, you know myself i'm not i'm not against a block size increase and i'm not against segment i mean me you know and i i think i said this when bitcoin cash was going on me i'd much rather fuck just do colored coins now, you'd probably need a little bit of a block size increase for for that to happen, but like if you want Bitcoin to do more, that's all you got to do, you know. And that all get that all gets handled at the wallet. Like so much can get done at the wallet. You don't need to do like hard forks or you know whatever. I mean, if you're doing the the block size increase, you need to, of course. But yeah, I I think there's much better ways to go about a lot of this, but nobody's really talking, you know, ab- about how to do that. I actually think that colored coins and wallets and multi-sig and all this and p2sh and all the stuff that you can do in bitcoin is an argument against ethereum and turing complete stuff (laughs) because you can do a lot of rudimentary kind of smart contract like stuff with bitcoin without having the security compromises of ethereum being turing complete or or turing vulnerable (laughs) exactly as we like to say turing vulnerable um yeah absolutely and i agree i totally agree with that statement and then that's a point i've made as well in the past um so yeah, I mean, as as far as Bitcoin two X, I mean, I'm I'm kind of just gonna watch it, you know, and yeah. like like just see what happens with all of this. Uh, I, I'm still like pretty agnostic. I just mm-hmm. think that I'm leaning. If I'm if I had to pick a side, if I had to say, I'm leaning toward. I'm definitely leaning towards bigger blocks. Sure, sure. Yeah. Why limit the size? Like it's it's almost like like rationing or something it's almost like communistic to like to like limit the (laughs) hold it back yeah or something like that and and then charge people higher fees but it's like it really doesn't need to be limited in that way you know it's like i don't know something about it just definitely feels feels a little off (laughs) having these having these this tiny block size you know I i think this is an important point to bring up i mean you know a lot of people freak out about these forks and everything um, I don't. I don't really. I actually don't have a problem with hard forks. Um, I don't. Just like you know. In fact, this isn't. This is an argument I made years ago 
uh, with, honestly, some people who ended up doing very well in the Bitcoin space as far as businesses go. Uh, but I'll leave them anonymous. Uh, but I said, I was like, you know, because they're, you know, the argument two, three years ago was do altcoins, should they even exist? let alone multiple different types of Bitcoin. I mean, that wasn't even a conversation. Like the, the idea was, well, should Bitcoins even exist? And I said, it was like, you know, and usually the argument you'd get for why altcoins don't need to be a thing is because, well, we can just make Bitcoin do that. And of course, my response to them would be, well, how do you add in that feature to Bitcoin? And they said, well, we'll have to do a hard fork. I said, yeah. so then you're going to create an altcoin. Yeah, right? that's right. Yeah. And they would... All they could do is just kind of like laugh because, yeah, that's exactly what you fucking did. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> uh, so unless there's a hundred percent consensus, a hard fork is is going to end up being an all coin. Yeah, right? yeah, if, right. If it's contentious. If there's right, if there's contention at all, it's, yeah. there's going to be two two sides of the fork. Yeah. So you know, but here's the thing: like, I don't mind hard forks. I don't care if this shit happens. Like Zcash, uh, I think has a hard fork coming up. Fine. I don't care. Here's here's where I have a problem with hard forks. Here's where I have a hard where I have a problem with what what development teams do. If the hard fork is designed to erase history, if it's designed to retroactively affect things, that's where I run into a problem. This is why, like, that's why I was so against the hard fork for Ethereum, because that was all about the DAO. That was all about. Uh, it was know, about erasing one specific event from history. Right. Yeah. Now, I think that's bullshit. It's a very dangerous precedent. Yeah, I mean, that that's scary because you could, at any given moment, really, you could, you know, you could lose all of your money. Um, and you could say that, well, that's why we have Ethereum Classic and that, well, then you'll just have other, you know, it'll just fork at that point and you'll just support the chain that allows you to continue using your money. But the other problem here is, and, and that's why I think this is interesting how this is going to play out, this little Bitcoin civil war that's going on. Is because Bitcoin, so Ethereum has Vitalik, has the Church of Vitalik, and pretty much it's it's really not like like I think in most people's minds it's not Ethereum without Vitalik. With Bitcoin, the one of the beautiful things about Bitcoin is it doesn't have a Vitalik. Yeah, that's it right. Doesn't it doesn't have a figurehead. Yeah, it doesn't have a Pope. And so great, that means we can do all kinds of wild shit with it, and you know, and we don't have to play uh, into somebody's cult of personality, you know, and. And I, I just I, I think that's awesome. But I, I get scared of if there's forks where they're talking. I mean, if one of these Bitcoin forks was saying, oh, and we're going to erase the past year of everything that happened in Bitcoin, I'd be like, fuck you. You know, like I, I, I'd mm -hmm. be totally against that. I have no, no interest in that at all. No, the bit the Bitcoin. It, it, I think the Bitcoin community is too smart for that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. not going to fall for it. No, right. And, and again, there's no one for them really to listen to to, to, to right. make this happen. There's uh, been all, ample opportunities where there's been Bitcoin thefts and nobody's even proposed like doing a rollback or whatever. Right. Yeah, exactly. Rollbacks. Yeah. Mm. Um, so with Bitcoin 2x, I mean, I, I could see it becoming like like I think this is kind of different because it's really... Like in many ways, the the bulk of the miners versus the core developers, and because it's implementing things that were part of the New York Agreement, that the developers and the miners are eighty percent of you know of the the power of Bitcoin, shall we say, uh, agreed upon. Like, yeah, I I think Bitcoin two X could at the end of the day be the real Bitcoin, even if it doesn't have the bulk of the developers or or whatever you know of of core, uh, the core team you know getting on board with it. Mm -hmm. um, so like. I the idea that there's some people who 
who are like, well, you know, it, it might be too soon to increase the block size to two megabytes. It might not be. We're going to do both and see which chain survives. There's a problem with that because, like, it might be that both chains survive. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do then? <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I mean, if both do, then I mean, good thing these things have two names. We're going to be using. We're not going to say Bitcoin anymore. We're going to be saying BTC or B two X. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I, well, there people are already calling Bitcoin like legacy Bitcoin. Yeah, right. And be, be Bitcoin Cash or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, in a way, like this is the nature that this technology is going in. You know, uh, like I talk about. So, oh, Microsoft is working with Ethereum and everything. Okay, sure, they're messing with the technology, but the Ethereum, the Ether that you have in your wallet has nothing in common, or, I mean, is not connected to the Ether that, that Microsoft is dealing in. You know, they use the technology, but they don't use the same blockchain that you're using. So in many ways, like for a lot of cryptocurrencies, you're, you know, there's already multiple blockchains for, for, these, for these technologies uh, that, are, that are out there. So... Bitcoin, you know, having multiple Bitcoins, you know, Bitcoin blockchains, I don't even think that that's like that that's necessarily a strange concept because this is a concept that that happens with with, you know, many of the other cryptocurrencies out there um, that they they already do that. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to watch now as far as how to because this is going to be, you know, this is a hard fork uh, and you can effectively double your holdings. You know, is in is however many BTC you have before November sixteenth, you can get uh, you can get in in uh, Bitcoin two X. How do you go about doing that? Well, I'm going to explain that part to you now. So, this is a great argument for holding on to your private keys for once. Yeah, it's yeah. so much easier in the event of a fork. Right, because then all you can all you need to do is is you take you you export your private keys from whatever wallet you're using, and then you you know you import it into a wallet that supports the forked currency. There in this is case, one B2X. more thing. Yes, there is, you do that, but there is one more thing you need to do as well. What's that? Which is do your homework and make sure that the <laughs> that the uh, wallet you're importing your private keys into is not does not contain some kind of malicious script or code that's going to steal your Bitcoins. Because remember, you still have Bitcoins in that address and you've just given a, a piece of software your private key. So but, technically it could access your Bitcoins as well, not your Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin 2X or whatever. Those are very sage words. Um, and like I said, when the Bitcoin Cash thing happened, there really wasn't a great wallet uh, yeah. you know, out there. Other I didn't than Trezor and even Trezor So I just problems. stayed calm and, and held. Well, know? that's, so yeah. And so that's the thing too, is that you can... Because it's taking a snapshot at that moment, say on November 16th, and you'd probably want to make sure whatever you want being recorded on November 16th is done by like the 14th, you know, and, and you just wait after that uh, just to be sure as, as to when that snapshot uh, occurs. Like you can you can wait six months, you know, I mean, you could wait forever and 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 see what happens, you know, and then, you know, uh, export your private keys and import it into a wallet that supports, in this case, would be Bitcoin 2X or V2X. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously I wouldn't, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't suggest doing this if I didn't have a wallet in mind that, mm-hmm. that I think is a little more trustworthy. That you've done research on. Yeah, and, and that I've messed yeah. with. Um, so the wallet that, the best wallet that I know of that is going to support B2X out of the gate is um, it's called Exodus, 
And the link for it is in the show notes. Now, Exodus, it's this is a very pretty wallet. <laughs> and uh it has But like, how do you know it's trustworthy though? That's I don't care how good it looks. Oh no, it's it's open. I mean it, it's a it's about as vetted as like Jax or any of these oh. other ones. Okay. And I and I'm and look, I know there's security concerns around Jax. I know there's some security concerns around a bunch of these different things. Okay. Um but you know, I mean, and there's ways to mitigate what, what you even described um, in that you can... Uh, you can move your Bitcoin first and then take that address, you know, just don't archive the address, the address that the Bitcoin was in at the time of the fork, and then import the private key once there's no Bitcoin in that address. Right. Yeah, exactly. You could do that. I mean, you can set up spending pins. Like, there's ways There's ways to mitigate that. But anyway, Exodus, to, to me, it looks like a very solid wallet. Um, it... It hand, it's a multi-currency wallet. It's very similar to Jack's in that sense, um, and uh, it will. But it will be it will be accepting uh, B2X, and so you can import your private keys into it. And then you know, if you have four bitcoins and you import it into you import that the private keys of your say your copay wallet, which is the number one wallet that I recommend for for Bitcoin raw uh, or you know legacy Bitcoin, I guess at this point. Um, you know, you can import. You say you have four bitcoins in that, and you import it into into the the B two X wallet within Exodus wallet, and you'll end up with four B two X. So this is a, I mean, this is something in my opinion to take advantage of. Even if you instantly just sell off the B two X because you believe in legacy Bitcoin, fucking do it. <laughs> you know, like really, mm-hmm. like, like like make this happen. Um, just make sure whatever amount of Bitcoin you want in the wallet that you're exporting from. Uh, is there well before the sixteenth? Um, before you do that, but but Exodus is again. It, it's a, in my opinion, it's a very very nice wallet, uh, and and I, I like it for its multi currency features and, and and what it you know not that it's the only one that can do that, uh, but anyway that so there there's my solution for for rocking with uh, with B two X. This is definitely something I'll be keeping an eye on, um, and I know Stephanie, you'll be keeping a, a, a pretty you know close eye on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just just by the nature of what you do. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is fine because you know every time, any time when there's multiple, I think for some people the altcoin argument isn't done, and when multiple bitcoins or bitcoin blockchains flourish, I think it gives altcoins a lot more validity. Which I think is is really cool. So, any, I mean, did you have any other thoughts, Stephanie? Any any kind of closing thoughts? On yeah, the whole matter? schisms are good. You yes. are, you say that yes. all the time. Schisms are good. Right on. I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't no be idea. forced to work or be part of a community with somebody that you just dis- fundamentally disagree on. And if there are fundamental disagreements, it's okay to split. Yeah, you don't have to stay together for the kids. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, no, I, I I totally agree uh, with that all the way. So, you know, while uh, while we're talking just the last bit about Bitcoin here, you know, maybe maybe you want to do something with Bitcoin. Maybe you want to diversify beyond the concepts of Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin Gold, or uh, or Bitcoin Two X. Maybe you want to turn some of that Bitcoin into real gold. Oh, gold yeah. you can hold That's in your not hand. A bad idea. I've done that. <laughs> Damn right. Get, do get that 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 offline cold storage known as precious metals. And if you want to do that, what I want you to check out is Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Website is rrbi.co. That's where you're going to get your hookup. Gold, platinum, palladium, silver, 
you name it, okay? They they have got you covered, and they accept Bitcoin. That's what you got to understand. They are a Bitcoin-preferred business because they believe in this technology. They believe in this community, uh, which I think is just, I mean, that's reason enough to do business with them straight up. Uh, so, yeah, maybe right now is a good time to do some diversifying. I, I In my opinion, it really, really is. So, Go for it. Go to rrbi.co. Let them know that the Golden Stallion sent you. Uh, you're going to get incredible customer service. Uh, I mean, just it, it, it's a it's a phenomenal, phenomenal experience dealing with Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Uh, so, Stephanie, I know you've you've had dealings with them, and you've always been very pleased. Uh, I mean, yes, I recommend Roberts and Roberts. They are just the the customer service is awesome. It's awesome that they accept cryptocurrency in exchange for uh, gold and silver, and they carry cool stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Get on it. I definitely can't recommend them highly enough. Yeah, absolutely. So we thank them for being a longtime sponsor of Sovereign Tech. Mm -hmm. Again, it's Roberts and Roberts Brokerage. Go ahead. Use that Bitcoin uh, and just just go to RRBI.co. And like I said, let them know that the Golden Stallion sent you to get Golden Baby. And they're going to know who you're talking about. They listen to this show. I mean, they really believe in this stuff. So anyway, uh, Stephanie, we are going to, you know, we're talking a lot really about the future, you know, and uh, (laughs) I mean, I you know, I, I just want to say this. Like, I, I get it. In fact, I'm I'm reminded of um, of a quote by uh, by Alfred uh, uh, Alfred Whitehead, who said, "It's the business of the future to be dangerous." I get it. Ooh. Like that, all this is you know sounds very dangerous. It's like, oh, you know, we could run into these problems. I mean, that is the absolute nature of the future is to not be safe, and I think that's okay. You know, I mean, like, like, certainly you don't want to do anything stupid and you don't want to, like, uh, uh, you know, deal in, in actions that trample on human liberties. But otherwise, yeah, this shit's dangerous. But that's the name of the game. That's that's how the future works. You know, uh, so anyway, we'll see what happens. But while we're talking, you know, I know we we're just talking about very much about the future. Let's go to the ancient past, because this yeah. is a story. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, it talk, it's one of those every once in a while there's these stories that come out. Where the Sovereign Tech listeners, they just bombard me with, like, the same story. And I don't mind. Like, I'm not complaining at all. I think it's great because it's really, it's a signal to let me know, hey, I need to talk about this. Um, and this is one where I got bombarded. Uh, I mean, so many people were, were messaging me, emailing me, or putting it in the uh, the Sovereign Tech Uncensored Facebook group. Which, by the way, so we're going to talk about the Great Pyramid of Giza. But before I do that, uh, I, I wanted to mention this at the top of the show, and for whatever reason I didn't think of it. Um, there is now an official Sovereign Tech subreddit on Reddit. Oh, uh, that's right. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, some wonderful people, you know, suggested the idea. I, I thought, you know, after thinking about it for a little while, I was like, yeah, you know, this might actually be perfect. This might be the thing that that could help maybe wean people off Facebook or just give us an alternative of where to talk about things. And it's already pretty active. Um, It's just, you know, it's r slash sovereign tech. And that's that's the subreddit. You have to uh, it's a private subreddit. So you've got to you have to message me if you want to get into it or you can you can click request uh, to enter it, I believe. And I usually get to those requests pretty quickly and um, and I'll get you in there. But uh, yeah, now there is an official Sovereign Tech subreddit. So if, if you're big on Reddit, I know a lot of my listeners are. Or if you want to connect with the Sovereign Tech community, but you fucking hate Facebook, which Satan bless you for that. I mean, I think that's wonderful. Um, then by all means, 
r slash sovereign tech i'll put a link in the appendix of the show notes uh so you can find it quickly and maybe i'll, I'll put my uh my own uh, my my username on there is b sovereign so you know that's easy enough to find and you and you can message me. i like it b sovereign <laughs> yeah well there's might have been some thinking into that but <laughs> <laughs> but uh but anyway so yeah the subreddit really excited about that and we'll we'll see where that can uh, that can end up going but um yeah let's let's go into the ancient past because this week not that this week is the ancient past but what we're referencing was from um turns out that a giant well <laughs> i don't know how to put this but a giant void i guess i was going to say a giant hole but a giant void potentially a room was found inside the Great Pyramid of Giza. This is the, mm-hmm. the big one. Okay, this is One that was unknown before. Right, that yeah. was previously unknown. Before you had... Like there you, were various secret chambers well, that were known about, right? Well, that had been found and excavated. Well, so, I mean, you have you kind of have three main rooms that, that, that have regularly been researched and, and that have been found in, in the Great... In the, you know, there's there's the three pyramids. This is the big one. This is the big Khufu pyramid. Uh, whether Khufu actually built it, that's another story. Uh, but anyway, you have, you know, like you have the Queen's Chamber, you have the King's Chamber, and you have the, uh, like, what I think they call the gallery that's in there. Uh, and those are the three main rooms. Now, there's at points where they have found like these little uh, uh, chasms, not the right word, where where they found these shafts that a person really can't get into. Right. You have to drive robots into them. And it appears that there are like there must be some there's a little something more inside of, uh, of you know, particularly the Great Pyramid that that everybody kind of gets interested in. And um, I mean, there's actually there's far more than three pyramids in Egypt. I mean, there, there's there's quite a few. But those are the ones that people always really, uh, really concentrate on. But anyway, uh, so now, you know, outside of those three major rooms, yeah, another one was found. And so I'm going to read a little bit about it. This is actually coming from Quartz uh, because the technology that they used, we actually talked about the fact, I, I highlighted it during the foreplay, maybe about a year ago. I said that they were going to start using this. And I said, oh boy, wait till you see what we find. And well, we're already finding shit. So uh, this is, uh, again, this is from Quartz. Uh, the, the headline is, What We Know About the Mysterious Chamber Discovered Inside the Great Pyramid. Uh, and I'll, I'll read here. Which again. is next to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but they can speculate. <laughs> well, we can have fun, and we're going to yeah. have some fun. Oh, Don't yeah. worry. <laughs> so, uh, well, all right. Let me, let, me, let me cut this off at the pass. The one thing it's not going to be is aliens. Oh, fuck that shit. Come I, on, that's no, not fun. No, that's it. no fun. I I pretty much guarantee if you want to you want to buy into any of my predictions, here's one. Aliens have never been to the planet Earth. Uh all right, so let <laughs> uh, that's not exactly a prediction. And buy Zcash and Zencash. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, buy Zencash. Uh <laughs> Um, so let, let's read here. Uh, we are one step closer to understanding more about the only remaining remaining wonder of the ancient world. Scientists have discovered a void inside the Great Pyramid of Giza, according to new research published in the scientific journal Nature. The discovery is the result of work from Scan Pyramids, an organization led by the HIP Institute and the Faculty of Engineering at Cairo University that is dedicated to studying the pyramids of Egypt using non-invasive techniques. Uh, A symbol of the awesome power of ancient Egypt, the Great Pyramid is 479 feet tall, the tallest structure built by man until the Eiffel Tower in 1889. Built as a royal tomb around 2560 BCE, it's made of an estimated 2.3 million blocks of stone. 
There were three known chambers inside the Great Pyramid, an, un, an unfinished low chamber near the bedrock, as well as the king and queen's chambers, uh, believed to be for the pharaoh Khufu and his wives, until today. So, what is the secret chamber? According to nature, the large, previously unknown, quote-unquote, big void inside the Great Pyramid is the first major interior structure found there in well over a century. Though they don't know the precise dimensions, researchers say the hidden chamber is at least 100 feet long and located above a hallway about 155 feet long, known as the Grand Gallery, part of a maze of passages inside the pyramid. Uh, quote, what we are sure about is that this big void is there, that it is impressive, that it was not expected by, as far as I know, any kind of theory. End quote. Uh, Mehdi Toyabi, president and co-founder of the HIP Institute, told Reuters. Uh, how was the chamber found? Researchers made the discovery using cosmic ray-based imaging, a process that uses, mo that uses modern particle physics to understand new information about ancient structures, known as uh, muon tomography. The technique generates 3D images using information from particles that hit the Earth close to the speed of light and then penetrate deeply into solid objects. Muons, elementary particles similar to electrons, originate from collisions between cosmic rays and atoms in the upper atmosphere. They penetrate material more deeply than X-rays, so the technique can be used to image uh, more dense structures, say, than CT scanning. Uh, muons can penetrate stone, but as they travel through a dense object, they lose energy and decay. So scientists can understand the density of an object based on the number of muons flowing from a particular direction. If it's like a, an X-ray. Yeah, it works exactly like an X-ray. It's just, and, I mean, basically, you know, muons, if they go through too quickly, um, then they know that there's a void there. Right. Because it's not, because that, that rate of decay isn't there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if there's a big void, lots of muons will flow through. Uh, muon detection has improved significantly since it was developed in the 1960s, so Tayabi and his colleagues were able to use three advanced muon detection techniques, nuclear uh, emulsion films, hodoscopes, and argon gas-based detection. Every method showed the same result, a large void in the area above the Grand Gallery. Uh, experts are unsure about the purpose of the void. It could have been a burial chamber, another gallery, an architectural anomaly, or simply a sealed-off construction passage. However, some historians are more excited than others about the discovery. Quote, it's very clear that, they found that what they found as a void doesn't mean anything at all. There are many voids in the pyramid because of construction reasons, end quote, said uh, Zahi Hawass, an Egyptologist and former Egyptian uh, minister of antiquities and director of excavations at Giza, uh, Saqqara, blah, 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 anyway. So he was talking to Live Science about that. I mean, and, and this is pretty much the story. So you already have the archaeologists, or in this case, the Egyptologists, but in many ways, kind of a similar school, uh, you know, coming out and saying, oh, no, no, it's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> That's suspicious. Nothing to see here. Move yeah. along, please. Exactly. Yeah. Which is the same horseshit that they've said with any kind. Uh, like there was, uh, I guess this would, it was, I think it was in the 70s, in the 1970s, when there was um, a hole found in the, or a, a, not a hole, but actually a... Uh, a chamber, like a, a chamber. storage space well, underneath it, the Sphinx, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, not, not not well. It wasn't like under like there was. So you could you could take off part of like the right paw mm -hmm. of the Sphinx. Oh, and and there there was like a chamber, or there was you know like a hallway. There's something underneath down. there, right? And now if you if you go into like the Dream Steel of Tutmosis the Fourth and some of these other people, they talk about where or you know in the Egyptian's own record. 
that yeah there's there's like actually a gigantic uh, uh, um, building like or something underneath the sphinx you know uh, so that that's i mean that that that's interesting in itself but the point being is that yeah the idea that the Egyptians hide would hide giant rooms. Not not such a crazy uh, notion by, oh, by sure. any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. So Stephanie, I mean, I'll ask you like right out of the gate. I mean, when when you hear this news, I mean, what what comes to your mind? Um. <laughs> <laughs> or if you want a second, I can keep talking because I'm I did sure just there are lots of uh, I'm sure there are lots of undiscovered secret rooms and secret chambers in all kinds of uh, ancient structures like this. You know, I mean, this thing is massive. Like, it is it's, massive. It's yeah. not crazy that there are secret rooms, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, I think there's stuff under the Sphinx. There there might be another Sphinx. There's all kinds of speculation that's possible. Um, it's cool that it's it's coming out, but, I mean, what's the point? Because the Egyptian government's not going to let people explore it, right? Yeah, so it's illegal yeah. to to do a lot of, like, I mean, there's a reason it's that they had to use muon detect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because... You, you can't like you can't what you can't you cannot do destructive uh, expeditions yeah. effectively or explorations and digs and all of that or destructive archaeology whatever you want to call it you you know that's completely illegal you're not allowed to uh, which I get it I mean I you know a part of me wants these things preserved too mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh, not to say that you need to preserve everything that has some kind of antiquity to it you know if you want to if you want to tear down a statue of Robert E. Lee by all fucking means rip that thing to shreds um, well it, that's a very particular kind of antiquity or history yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a very particular slant on it right and, uh, and, and that that kind of history certainly destroyed a lot of other people's history so that's that's for sure so yeah, so I, I mean, you know, you don't have any kind of like wild theory you want to toss out there? Oh, God. I mean, what could you possibly, what could you do with a hundred foot room, a hundred foot chamber? Mm. The possibilities are endless. Yeah. Now, some people say the pyramids are a battery and you're pouring acid down one shaft and there was another shaft you pour. Right. The work of Christopher something. Dunn. Yes. Uh, and it, it's like a huge power source. I don't know about that. Um, but if it was, then it could be some giant, uh, you know, mixing chamber or something like that, or storage space for, for the energy. Um, it could have been a storage space for, for other things like food or like, you know, I don't know, munitions or something like that, Mm -hmm. that, that would, the pyramid could be like a fortress of some kind, you know, that they were storing certain stuff in. Um, it, it could be. A construction passage. I could totally buy that as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it could be just a tomb. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that. That's, it could be a tomb. That's yeah. effectively. I mean, the 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 mainstream thinking of what the the pyramids themselves are is just that they're tombs. You know, like I mean, they're just giant you know burial grounds. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you, Brian. I don't really buy that it, it's a tomb. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, de- definitely not. So I guess you know, kind of the big questions to come up. So they brought up that these were. You know, built. The theory goes is that they're built by Khufu in you know we're talking 26th century BCE. Okay, so that you know we got about 5,000 years on this thing, or you know however well no I guess yeah it'd be about 5,000 years that that these had uh, had been around. And really, any theory you come up with as far as the purpose of the pyramids or what is even within the pyramids and what it all means. rests on whether on where you think when you think these things were built 
So now the the reason that this gets that the Great Pyramid particularly gets dated at what is it 2560 BCE mm-hmm. is because um, the excavator or you know excavators archaeologists that went in there uh, said they found graffiti with Khufu with with the Pharaoh Khufu's who was Pharaoh at the time of that dynasty uh, with his name in it okay and I think he's that's either the 12th or 13th dynasty something like that. Um, now, there's people who suggest, in fact, this was kind of one of the, like a major premise for the movie Stargate, that that that's a fraud. That like that graffiti, especially since there's almost no writing whatsoever in the rest of the pyramid. Why the fuck would there be like suddenly there's just this, you know, autograph right. that says, hey, and there this was is no plans Kifu. either. There was no blueprints. There was no like, this is how we built this, you know, which is also strange for Egypt because Egypt is meticulous in writing all over their walls how they did fucking everything. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, I mean, like it, it's, it's everywhere, um, you know, how they go about that. Uh, so really, it hinges on that. Now, if I were to believe that, yes, these were built by or in the time of Khufu and, you know, by, by his his people and everything, uh, what do I think would be in that room? Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it was another tomb. You know, like, I mean, that that would be probably the most likely and why it would be buried, you know, closed off and why, you know, you, you can't get to it uh, from any of the other main uh, galleries. So... But if I weren't to believe that, that's where things, you know, start to get interesting as far as, you know, what exactly um, is inside there. Uh, And myself, I'm not inclined to believe that the pyramids were built in or that that the Great Pyramid itself was built in, in 2560. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, I mentioned earlier, like with the Sphinx, I mentioned the dream steel of Tutmos IV. Now, you can actually, I, I did a, and people could think it's cheesy or whatever. I love doing it. I did a dramatic reading mm. with music that I composed myself. Um, of I the, think it's so cool that you did that. Thank you. Uh, of the dream steel of Tutmos IV. You can go to audiotheancients.xyz to find it, and you can actually get it for free. Um, I have another album there that you pay for, but you can get that one for free. And the dream steel of Tutmos IV is very interesting, because in that, he's saying... Thomas the Fourth is saying that that he had a dream, where he dreamed about the Sphinx. The Sphinx was like talking to him, blah blah blah. But not that he built the Sphinx, but that he found it. That that they they uncovered it. They dug it up. And 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 um, and, and there's other there's other like odd discrepancies. Like we said, the, the Egyptians like wrote down fucking everything. Okay, um, and so it's strange that there's no real writing down of the moment when the pyramids were built um there is i mean they do write about the pyramids eventually but like you don't get any real like dating of any kind on it or or anything like that um but like with the sphinx you find out that there was actually two of them at some point like based upon some writing so so there's 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 stuff like where the hell's that how do you lose you know something of of that size that 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 doesn't exactly make a lot of sense so that's probably under the same mars yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, because they, yeah, right. Anyway, um, the my the point that I'm that I'm I'm getting to here is that maybe like if the Sphinx was something that was found, if the, you know this thing that is so identified like with with uh, you know Egyptian culture uh, and and the Egyptian Empire um, and the well the ancient Egyptians in general. There's some people that that, that theorize that maybe the pyramids themselves weren't built by the Egyptians, but they were found. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and maybe. And then who were they built by? Well, that I mean that that's where it becomes anybody's guess, you know. I mean, and 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 people will reference like there's certain uh, uh, like the Sumerians mm-hmm. were really one of the things they were really good about writing down is their kind of their their merchant travels and their merchant transactions. They're really big on on all that. Uh, and theory goes is that in you know one of their their like their what what chalks up to being codices in in cuneiform is that they is that they saw the pyramids like that they were coming up from Whoa, that area. But wait they, a minute, that's like ten thousand years ago, right? Well, yeah, that's that's thousands of years before, before um, the pyramids you know, were supposed to have been built. Right, exactly. So you have a real problem there if what what this you know. Sumerian merchant is describing is actually the Great Pyramids because that means oh, oh god damn it <laughs> you know uh, th- that's not there so I mean because then that opens up a whole other theory as to hey what the fuck could be in this secret room you know uh, did the Egyptians just repurpose the other rooms um, as a tomb yeah yeah right right to, to be tombs and that maybe this is more the original stuff that was there and they just blocked it off I mean, who knows? And so the article's right in suggesting that in many ways it's it's anybody's, um, you know, it's really anybody's guess as to what it is. Okay, so what do you think they're for? What do you think the pyramids are for? And what do you think this chamber is for? Tell, give me your the wildest conspiracies you're willing to go to. Oh, boy. Okay. So, well, I already said it's not aliens. Like, if yes. you're a new listener to Sovereign Tech, understand this. I don't believe aliens have ever been to the planet Earth. I don't even think that there's a lot of alien species Yeah, yeah, out you there. said that. Let's get I, to the theories. I just want to make sure that that is abundantly clear because I, I get so sick. I, I'm even tired of the fucking memes of people like doing that. It's like, oh, aliens. It's like, no, just shut up. Like, I never get tired of it. No, I, I get tired of it because because it keeps people from from like really going into some, some good intellectual or speculative rigor and you know on, on these subjects. And, and I, like I'm almost to the point that like shows like Ancient Aliens and all that are t- to use a kind of a conspiracy term. I'm I'm almost to the point that they're Cointel Pro because like it's designed to make a mockery of these alternative historical theories. Yep. Uh, by by you know bringing in the implausible thing of when I I do think aliens are implausible. You know as far as having an effect on uh, on on humanity over you know the past few thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't think is implausible is that they're were civilizations that existed before, like the aforementioned Sumerians, which are largely considered to be kind of the first major civilization um, of humanity. I am not opposed to that there were ancient human civilizations that maybe knew more or were of a more advanced level than we're willing to give them credit for, something along those lines. And that really gets into my theories on the Sphinx, the pyramids, and, and all of that. I think that... I don't know if they were religious structures or structures of knowledge in general, like, mm-hmm. you know, grand libraries of some kind. You know, I talked about this recently on a Patreon episode because somebody asked me about the works of Stephen Pinker mm-hmm. and what I thought about um, his theories that were more peaceful now. And what did I think about his, you know, his idea that that humans used to be savages and all this stuff, you know, like that they were really vicious and somehow were far better off. Um, I actually, I think that humans, and, and you can find it in their writings, even in the Sumerians, I think, I think our, our ancestors, A, were not dumb. They did not have lower IQs. Uh, 
And B, I think they might have actually, because of their, their their deep reliance in many ways upon each other at various points, I think they had a better understanding, maybe a better understanding of the human condition more so than, than we do now, or at least in certain aspects they did. Um, and because of that, I think the reason that there is a lot of building things in stone and doing these crazy structures in stone is because they knew that empires come and go. They knew that 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 like so much of like civilizations that crop up and, and cultures that crop up and all this, they, they just, they disappear. And that's where I disagree with Steven Pinker's work. I mean, like all of these achievements that he's talking about that we're making can just disappear tomorrow. In fact, if you look at this, you know, just the summer of 2017, you saw any argument that Steven Pinker had for humanity becoming more peaceful, go completely out the fucking door right in the United States. Okay. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think that's why, that's why our ancestors did build things in stone. Is because it lasts, it survives these waves of culture and civilization, mm. uh, and and it continues on, and so I, I mean, but it, how do they know that? Maybe someone built it before. Them. Well, that's what I'm so, saying. Is yeah. that I think I, I don't think the Egyptians. I'll, I'll just say it flat out. I don't, and I'm going to say something. I'm going to say a lot stranger things here in a minute too. Okay, uh, so Good. so if you if you want to you know if if you want to say wow that's crazy no just. Hold Buckle on. your seatbelt, Dorothy. Okay, <laughs> Kansas is going bye-bye. Uh, <laughs> to quote the Matrix for you. Um, so yeah, I I think the Egyptians they were, I think they were squatters. I think they were ancient squatters. I think they found the pyramids and they said, "Oh, what the fuck is that? We'll sit here, and you know we'll stay here and we'll build a civilization around this." Um, and, and yeah, and I, I think that's very much exactly, uh, you know, what, what happened with that. And what I think occurs many, many, many thousands of years down the line, or at least a thousand years maybe down the line, certainly a thousand years away from Khufu, is you end up with this character, this pharaoh, uh, or well, you end up with the Fourth, who I mentioned before, who claims to found the, uh, the Sphinx. Not that he built it, but that he found it. Um, and, and, you know, and then this, this, he has this dream that tells him to do all of these, these varying things. Now, Tutmos the Fourth isn't so much the interesting character. He's interesting for that. Who's the really interesting character is his, uh, his descendants, particularly his son and his grandson. His son's name is Amenhotep the Fourth. His, well, actually, his son, his grandson, and his great-grandson would all be, would all be very big names. Uh, his grandson... Would this would be, or I'm sorry, did I say Amenhotep the Fourth? His son is Amenhotep the Third. His grandson's Amenhotep the Fourth. Amenhotep the Fourth is the guy who changes his name to Akhenaten, oh. okay, who is well known for creating dramatic cultural changes, mm. like those kinds of things. He went the to reason monotheism why, in yeah, Egypt, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, like how Stephen Pinker says, "Oh, everything's getting more peaceful." You know, culture shifts on, you know just the drop of a hat and Akhenaten was the drop of that hat. And of course, Akhenaten's son would be none other than the most famous Pharaoh of all time. That being Tutankhamun. Mm. Uh, and not that Tutankhamun is necessarily as important a figure as many would claim. He's important because of, you know, the find of his tomb and all that stuff, you know, around that. Um, but his father was certainly a major character, but I think Amenhotep, the, Amenhotep the third, Akhenaten's father gets ignored pretty heavily and i'm i'm becoming more and more convinced that menetep the third uh had well he did have one other he did have another name but that other name hints at to maybe who he really was and his other name was saline men 
which smacks awfully hard of Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> to add on to that, Tutmos IV uh, also had another name of Deut. Or which is which which spells, David? yeah which were exactly see I didn't even have to I didn't even have to explain further what so, so this is is this like the Jews were the Egyptians yeah this is that kind of shit all right oh now, my uh, god okay I love it good yeah keep okay going, so so there's there's a tremendous book and it's not just one book this this guy I challenge people to read this stuff because I I think. It's one of those cases where, just like we talked about, where as soon as as soon as you find out about this, there, you know, we use this latest in technology. Nobody is doubting that there is this giant void in the Great Pyramid of Giza. And what is the first thing that the local Egyptologist says? Oh, it's just a fucking construction, uh, 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 you know. Uh, yeah, that's hole or whatever. I agree. Yeah, that's yeah, it's weird. just a chasm, or you know, just a. It's just a construction. It's just a construction chamber. It's chamber, no big deal. Don't yeah. don't don't pay any attention to it. He has no fucking idea what it is. You know, I mean, as any much as anybody else, myself included, he has no idea that it, that's I, for him as an Egyptologist talking to Live Science, one of the most popular websites on the internet. It's fucking unprofessional for him to come out and say that. Like, it's an insult. In fact, I mean, just in the very action of him saying that alone with such certainty should raise every red flag well, on anybody. He, that, he didn't say it with certainty. He, oh, said, he said it could be a. It could be another. Uh, another hallway or another gallery. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. Let's see. Uh, he, the, this is this is the quote. Okay, again from Zahi Hoas. It's very clear what they found as a void doesn't mean anything at all. There are many voids in the pyramid because of construction reasons. Ah, uh, okay. He, he okay. said he said it's very one. clear. That's certainty. You're right. Okay. okay. <laughs> and so. So I mean, but but here here's the you know here's here's the uh, um, where was I going with that? So but I mean yeah oh my point being is that this is it, it's a no nobody should say that with, with that much certainty like that that that's insulting really to anybody's yeah because the Egyptians may not have even built it so what do they know? Well I mean that yeah that's a whole other ball game that they're not willing to, to fucking you know or that that's a whole other conversation they're not willing to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Anyway, so, yeah, I, I think you have a lot of instances where there is a lot of contrary evidence to the popular narrative that exists within Egyptology and archaeology in general. And when that comes up, they just, all they can do is ignore it. And they just keep ignoring it, ignoring it, ignoring it until something comes along oh, like to where so they Oh, like so many can't. aspects of science. Yeah, science is the same way. It's like, oh, that's an inconvenient truth. Yeah, here's your inconvenient yeah. truth, jackass. And there's a guy who who is a full-on archaeologist himself, um, Ahmed Osman, who's written quite a few books since the 80s. Uh, Stranger in the Valley of the Kings is the first one that I read by him. That was, I think that was from 1986, maybe. Uh, his most popular book is called Out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think the, the, sub, the subheader to it is like the roots of Christianity in ancient Egypt. Uh, and he makes such a rock-solid case in that book for a lot of things. But one of the main points that he brings up, and, and he has like 13, 15 different points that he makes, and I'm not going to go down all of them, okay? I totally recommend reading this book, but I mean, if somebody really wants me to, maybe in a Patreon episode, I'll go line by line on, on his points. But he makes such an incredible... And look, I'm ethnically Jewish, okay? Like, I, I, know my, I know the history of my fucking people, you understand? And like, I'm seeing this and I'm going, wow. I mean, like it—it it just it really it does appear to be that that clear cut that Amenhotep the Third, Akhenaten's father, 
was not was the real King Solomon, and that like the Queen of Sheba was actually you know Amenhotep the Third's queen. Wow. And and one of the, one of the best cases that he brings up for this is the the grandeur of the construction that Amenhotep the Third went through the Temple of Luxor. And all that. and that's the thing. If 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 you replace, and I know some, I mean, and yeah, I understand. If you went to an archaeologist and you said, "Hey, so, you know, all these stories are being told. I want you to move them a few thousand miles down the road, okay? Mm-hmm. Like instead of it being Jerusalem, what if it was Luxor?" Mm-hmm. And when you do that, though, like like th- this is this is and, and I this is not new for me uh, to talk to or you know to say on, on Sovereign Tech, um, like the Western Wailing Wall. Okay, in Israel, you know, I've always said like, no, that's not that's not a part of the temple. I don't know what the fuck that is, but that's not part of the, that's not part of Solomon's temple or any temple. Um, it, it, you know, it's just not a part of the program. In fact, there's a lot of people who make the case that it's over by um, there's the well that's that's near the Dome of the Rock, where mm-hmm. people say that that's actually the location of where the temple was. Here's the thing: the way that the temple's described, the way that um, Solomon's temple. You know, all, all the construction that happened there, it's almost impossible that nothing of that, that really nothing of that survives. Like, in particular, especially some fucking wall, like just some wall. It doesn't make any sense. But when you look at Luxor, when you look at the Temple of Luxor and everything that survived there, I mean, it, it almost fits exactly, even right down to, to kind of like, like these two massive structures at the doorway, which, uh, you know, when, when you read the, uh, the Books of Kings in, in, in Torah... Uh, you know, would be described as like angels or whatever. But I mean, like it, it just it fits the bill. And, and once you do that transpose that the story was like with the measurements and everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of it like just just fits. And, and so many and, and a lot of the stories that exist about King Solomon attach. If, if you, you know, look at the stories about Amenhotep the third, which were pretty knowledgeable about him, um, like they, they they fit very nicely. Like almost to the numbers, it, it, it's wow. it's it's creepy just how well just how well this this character uh, you know you know fits the bill um, of, of actually being King Solomon, and it would make sense that if you know Solomon was all about being you know all wise and and was uh, you know you know so good with God and all this stuff that suddenly oh suddenly you have the you know his son amazingly just just completely changes the culture of you know of, of, of Egypt um, mm. and, and and brings on well I mean you know he changes the religion he, he changes everything and to monotheism which to is monotheism yeah right which is what you know Solomon ends up becoming ends up becoming praised in Judaism yeah. as being you know him and David being the uh, uh, the, the forebearers the mm. uh, you know the torchbearers I guess is more the word I'm looking for 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 monotheism you know at, in their time but what if really what was going on there was that like they were just kind of like passing this down but you know passing down some kind of knowledge that they figured out mm-hmm. to Akhenaten and Akhenaten's finally the one that actually put it all into play yeah. now what adds on to that is that what did grand what you know what did Akhenaten's granddaddy discover well if you believe the dream stealer he's the one that discovered the sphinx what did he find in the sphinx that that suddenly you know I mean eventually leads within just a uh, you know not even a hundred years, which leads to uh, you know Akhenaten come dramatically changing the faith, you know the religion, the entire culture, everything about uh, about ancient Egypt, and like I don't, it makes a it makes a fascinating case, and I I would almost argue that maybe 
you know, this chamber might lead to some of that, similarly to, to like, what could potentially be under the Sphinx mm. and what these people found and what led. You know, I Can't mean, they do the Muon stuff under the Sphinx? I think eventually they'll get to it. Mm. And if they don't, they'll be damn fucking odd. Mm. If they don't. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, when you get into conspiracy theorists, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists that think, like, the, the real reason you're not allowed to do anything to uh, to the pyramids is because there's like a very ancient faith that still practices there and like you know like elites and you know this right. gets into all like kind of globalist new world order kind of horseshit but <laughs> i mean whatever i love this stuff i think everybody in the, your audience loves this stuff too yeah but I, i'm i'm really can i mean I'm, I'm getting to the point of being very convinced that yeah actually king solomon wasn't a jewish character at all or at least that you know, again, I mean, I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a, it's not a hard stretch. And there's other, there's, there, there's other books. Uh, uh, I mentioned out of Egypt. Um, there's uh, Hebrews and the Pharaohs. There's, there's quite a few books that make, and I mean, that are done by rabbis themselves. Mm-hmm. That make. Them, and so, how do you get to the the idea that the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians? Was that just like, okay, if the Jews were the Egyptians? They were just the Egyptians were enslaving a subset of their own people, or something. Well, civil war. I mean, you know, it was something something along those. lines. There was lines. a hard fork. Yeah, there was. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, however, you know, however that ended up taking shape. But I mean, you you really do, honestly, you get evidence. I mean, and and I've felt this about the, about this in particular for a long time. Um, when you read in the Book of Kings, you know, I think it's I think it's in in Second Kings. There's a point where you know the the the, the Jews are, are kind of coming back and they're they're digging through all of their old, um, uh, you know, through a lot of their ruins and everything, and they talk about how they f- they found the law, like, and it, it's the craziest story because they're they're right there they're admitting that they lost, you know, they lost the the five books of Moses, they lost, them. They, they're like, well, where the fuck did that come from? And, I mean, and the, so. Like it, it raises the point that the five books of Moses themselves are completely suspect because mm-hmm. the t- Torah itself admits they lost it. Mm-hmm. They, like, how do they know what they even got back was the right stuff? Right. I, I mean, like, there's huge, huge problems with this, <laughs> uh, and, and and there's a lot more too. Like, like, there's more evidence I think that points at this too because um, one of the th- so because I think maybe the first criticism that a lot of people would uh, would bring up. Is that well? Amenhotep III though didn't go through these major reforms with um, like his son did, like like Akhenaten did, as far as religion and all that. But that's where you're wrong, because all of the new temples that he built were were all um, were to worship, reworship effectively the god the goddess Maat, and Maat is this is this goddess of of justice, morality knowledge in all this very similar to what solomon would keep talking about and when you read the greek translation particularly of um of torah which is called the septuagint uh what they call the sophia like sophia in, in, in greek you know just means knowledge and so he was i, I mean and that's what's interesting is that here here you have um yeah amenhotep the third the son of tutmos the fourth tutmos the fourth finds all this shit you know, or at least finds the Sphinx, and, and who knows what else. Then you have Amenhotep the uh, Third, who starts making temples to what could arguably be knowledge, mm. 
mm. you know, the goddess Ma'at. Mm. And and then, you know, then you have Akhenaten who just makes these sweeping reforms, you know, with, with you know, with, with no remorse. Um, and so, but I, but I think that kind of fits too, because what you also end up with is that later on, you know, potentially in actual Jerusalem, when you have the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem, um, what's interesting that happens is, is that a group of priests, when the Babylonians actually attack, I mean, this isn't to say like, okay, fine, say, say Solomon was, um, say Solomon really was a Amenhotep III. He mm-hmm. was actually, you know, just an Egyptian pharaoh. Okay, there's nothing to say that that like a group of people that would end up becoming what we know of as the Jews or the Israelites or whatever still didn't run off. Sure. You know, you know, yeah. up, up up somewhere because again, they lost, you know, who they ran off with was Moses. Mm-hmm. That history of whoever the fuck Moses was, we know was lost according to the Torah itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this, you know, the story of Solomon, you know, I mean, everything like pre that is very suspect, you know, in many ways, including uh, much of what Solomon had to say. So anyway, my, my point being is that like, so the Babylonian invasion, you know, occurs and, but what, what we do know is that a group of priests or must've been a group of, of Jewish priests, they run off, but where do they go? Not out of Egypt. They go back to Egypt and they go to what's known as Elephantine Island. Mm-hmm. Okay. And on Elephantine Island, you have one of the three buildings in the whole world that we know of that would be called the House of Yahweh. And the the other two, one is, of course, Solomon's Temple would be called the House of Yahweh. But we don't, you know, either beyond the Wailing Wall, we don't really have any evidence of, you know, what the, where exactly that was. Of course, now the argument would be, hmm, maybe that was in Luxor. But you say, wait a minute, the temple in Luxor was dedicated to a woman. Give me a second. The other one is in Tel Rad. That that that's in in Israel, but that that's another story. Like that, that that's a whole other ballgame. So you have one of these House of Yahweh's, a literal like uh, what could be considered a mock-up of whatever Solomon's Temple was. Okay, um, where it is there, and and there's there's like writings from fifth century BCE that are available there. Uh, you find that there's this reference to not to Yahweh, but to a goddess named Anat Yahu, who is either an aspect of Yahweh. Some people say it's I mean, there's a big argument around this. Is it the wife of Yahweh? But wait a minute. Why the fuck does Yahweh have a wife? <laughs> uh, you know, like, the, like is there's it this the big, divine feminine. Well, bottom line being, it's a goddess mm-hmm. that these Jews were absolutely worshiping in a building that was clear that that is that clearly matches what we understand of you know the bulk of like jewish religion or whatever uh and and there, there's plenty i mean there's like law books there's all kinds of stuff there's tons of of, of jewish papyri uh that you find at, on this egyptian island uh that you know again from the fifth century bce but it's interesting that they're worshiping a goddess but that's what i was saying is that who what was the temple of luxor built for it was built for a goddess not for a god, but for for a goddess. And so, if the continuation of the of the you know the whatever be it, I mean, one could argue that it was a secret faith or something. But if the continuation of the Jewish religion 
that got away from Babylonian captivity. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the Babylonian captivity raises all kinds of problems and questions over what the fuck did the Jews actually believe without the Babylonian influence. Right, exactly. Right. And what did they have to do to keep it secret and to survive during sure. that? Yeah. Sure. But so, so you know, the argument goes, well, they ran off to Egypt and they built this temple, but they weren't worshiping a god. They were worshiping a goddess. Uh, and so that matches exactly with what Amenhotep III was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I just I, I think the evidence that so many aspects of that history, Egyptian history, Jewish history, and all that is like so off base, and the the archaeological narrative, and even the, the textual narrative, the textual narrative contradicts itself. You know uh, that yeah, I, I think all of this raises a lot more questions. I think that there are absolutely fascinating things to be found within uh, the pyramids. And in fact, I think it's probably pretty scary for some people to to want to go in and. Ex- or, I, I think there's people that know. I, I really that do. know I, that there's some really serious shit in there, and yeah. they don't want anybody else to find and out. And they don't want anybody mm-hmm. to find it, you know. But some of these things that, that they just can't stop. Who would those people be? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, like higher I, I, ups in various religions, or well, there's there's powerful the art- world leaders. I haven't brought this up in a long time, but there's this concept of Prisca Theologia, which is that there was there was one original religion. Yep. Which actually, like, just just almost dare I say, scientifically, like I, I don't. I mean, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that there's actually supernaturalism, but I do think that there was an original religion. Um, I, I think that's how authoritarianism entered the world is because some fucking priest took mushrooms and saw shit that nobody else saw uh, and and told the story. And everybody's like, whoa, keep telling us stories. It's pretty fucking awesome. And next thing you know, that priest is getting fed by everybody else, you know, it's shamanism. And, uh, you know, and then eventually you end up with a priestly class. You end up with the priesthood. Mm. And I, I think they may have carried stuff down. I mean, you know, that that's getting really, like, we're talking like Paleolithic, like, or even, before, you know, just crazy times um but yeah there could be some ancient religion and and whatever was known of that was stored there and maybe at one point akhenaten tried to bring it back but when he tried to bring it back the uh priests of his day said absolutely fucking not you know you you can't you can't do that and we're gonna assassinate your ass for trying to do that you know and um and then then that religion just went into went into hiding in secrecy again and maybe because that religion went into, because the religion of Akhenaten, and who, which I also think was the religion that he learned from his granddad and his dad, um, I think maybe that was passed, those stories were passed down, and um, they just changed the names to hide it, to hide its origins, to hide where it came from, so that way that, that religion could, uh, could live on. And, you know, you could say, well, why would people want to do that? How could, you know, it's like, could the religion really be considered that important? Well, understand that Judaism is really just a gigantic medical code at the end of the day. And yeah, that's as important as anything. How do your people survive? You know, how do you, how do you get through in this world? Um, I mean, there's a lot of arguments around that, you know, I mean, because that then that gets into... There's more to Judaism than the Kashrut law and stuff like that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But uh, yeah, it, absolutely. But, you know, as far as like what is a later development, what was originally there, I mean, those are... You know that that gets into a big thing. I mean, I it, it's hard to find somebody that doesn't isn't willing to admit that. Wow, how did they know? Like, because some Levitical law seems to have an understanding of, you know, like microbiology. I mean, and you know, all kinds of shit that they just 
even if you're the most keenest observer in the world, you shouldn't know that. Like, like, <laughs> right. you just, like you shouldn't understand that all the spoils of war that you get from the people that you conquered, that you should put it through fire. Mm-hmm. You, like that, in fact, that that should be seen as absolute anathema. Yeah. Like, like what process could they have possibly gone through where they say, "Oh, well, if we put it through fire, nobody dies." Right. Like, like how, how, that's such a logical leap to go to. Yeah. That's but that's right. such an advanced notion mm-hmm. of science that I, I don't, I don't know how you, how, you know, how you just come up with that. Right. Somebody told you that. Somebody had a very good understanding of things. And so, again, if somehow these buildings, like say the pyramids or the uh, uh, the Sphinx or something, is a trove of some very ancient knowledge that is somewhat advanced, or who knows what else. Uh, from humans, not aliens. Hey, you know, I, I mean, it, like this, this raises big questions. I, I, I think I, think, I love this theory, Brian. It's t- so good. <laughs> Tell us what you think, listeners. Yeah, I mean, you, you can let me know. So I, I feel bad. What are we? What are we at? We're well over two hours yeah. now. So <laughs> and there are other things I wanted but to talk what about. What an awesome way! Oh, you can talk about Bitcoin and Egyptians. Way. Um, well, oh let, let's end off with something fun because I feel okay. like I've been talking forever here and you haven't had the chance to get in. And I, I love having you on the show and you always have such tremendous insights. Um, but thank you for loving me and not thinking I'm insane. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's out. awesome. I love listening. To, I'm just listening with fascination. I can't really add much because I don't know much about this stuff, but I think it's fascinating to hear about what, what you're like how you're weaving all these different theories together and synthesizing all these different his, historical things. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes time. And and this is the stuff that, look, if you're not on Facebook, you get to discover this shit. Like, you, you get to, if you actually, if you read actual books instead of Facebook, you know, <laughs> you, you can you can learn something. And, and, and you can kind of put together, you know, you have fun with your own puzzle pieces. And that's the thing. I, I admit that I'm being very speculative with a lot of this. Now, I don't think the work of Ahmed Osman is speculative. I think he is dead fucking on. Like, it's creepy. In, in fact, like... It, it's insulting that his works are, are largely ignored, in my opinion. Um, and not just his works. There's other people. I've talked about guys like Sitchin, which, again, I don't mm. agree with his conclusions, but uh, on, on many things, like especially when it comes to aliens, I think he's way off base. But there's there's a lot of stuff that he's hit so on the nose. I mean, just Planet X alone. Like, now you have everybody saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we're on the hunt for, for Planet, or what now they're calling it Planet Nine, because they, you know, uh, downgraded Pluto. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, like, like now he, he was saying that a long time ago. He yeah. said, no, 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 no. The only way that any of this ship and it, not just him, like Emmanuel Vilikovsky, like you know, the only way this the ship makes sense is if there was another planetoid that that came in here and played a little game of galactic billiards with our solar system. And now, oh yeah, that's what we're looking for because it's the only thing that makes sense, you know. And then that and like there must be some kind of body out there that's doing this sort of thing. And now, now it's just like a widespread hunt that NASA is totally okay with. But as to where twenty, thirty years ago, they'd laugh at anybody that suggested that there would be another uh, another planet, you know, in in the solar system. So it and look, I'm not saying there's anything alive on that planet. I, you know, I'm just saying that they knew something, and and they did it all by extrapolating with modern science and ancient texts. And I think it's so important to to really to do that to and and to to take another look at ancient texts with what we know of with modern science and I think this development that there's this big void inside the Great Pyramid is just it's fucking it's it's fascinating and it's the stuff that uh, stuff that the dreams are made of you know I mean like it just gets the creative juices flowing but anyway speaking of creative juices you and I uh, we've been enjoying the fuck out of a television show. 
uh, recently. <laughs> yes, and, we have. <laughs> and I know the one you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, now I, I did, recently I did a review um, of this, So, but we'll talk about it again because I think listeners would love to hear what you've got to say about it. But we've been watching Star Trek Discovery. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we are, and it deserves an oh, yeah. And we, we are seven episodes in or so. Um, I also, just this past week, I did like my, uh, I did an in-depth review, uh, what I call a Star Trek update on um, on Patreon, which you can join at SovereignTech.com for just a dollar a month. But if you do more, there might be some bonuses coming to you. Uh, and so we've been watching Star Trek Discovery. We watch it like multiple times a week. You know, we'll watch the same episode over and over again. Mm-hmm. And and first off, I love you to death for that because <laughs> that's like one of my greatest dreams ever. Hey, you want to watch Star Trek again? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if I believed in marriage, I'd say here's the ring. <laughs> it's so exciting. Uh, but anyway, so give me your take. What do you think of, I mean, we're only seven episodes in. I saw an article in, uh, actually that uh, a great listener shared in the um, Sovereign Tech Uncensored Facebook group that where Crack.com is saying this is the greatest Star Trek series of all time. Now, I don't, I don't expect you to go that far. I wouldn't go that far either. I think it's a little premature to make that claim. Um, but, I mean, what do you think, seven episodes in, what do you think of Star Trek Discovery? Give me the breakdown. Well, I've, I've, I saw that article that said it's the greatest Star Trek ever. Yeah. I've also seen other people say it's not even Star Trek, it's ba- and it's bad. <laughs> and yeah. that's bad. Yep. And I think it's kind of somewhere in between. It, it is great, but it's very different from other Star Treks. It's very different from other Star Treks. Yes. Um, not only do you not really have like the 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 ship with the good guy captain, you know, or the good captain that mm-hmm. is like on a mission, and the characters are good. Like all the characters are sort of almost like antiheroes. You know, you got Michael yeah. Burnham, the mutineer, and then you've got Captain Lorca, who's nuts and she can't be trusted. And you know, you know, quick point. Mm-hmm. Like her being a mutineer, Mm -hmm. they make it very clear, like, this doesn't happen. I mean, they really are making the case that, no, Starfleet's a very, is generally a very moral and upstanding organization. Yeah. Which seems to be the main argument, is that, like, Captain Lorca is not a good guy, he's a bad guy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Which I've, I debunked that. He's a rogue. Yeah, which I debunked that in the Star Trek update that I, that I put out, because I said, it was like, what are you talking about? There were so many bad captains, Starfleet captains, in the original series alone. Uh, Garth of Izzar, the captain from the Omega Glory, Maricus from uh, from Bread and Circuses. I mean, there's tons of them. Bad captains are order of the day, especially in that timeline, it, you know, in, in the original series. But not as the main captain that you well, yeah, see every episode. Right, they, but, but that doesn't mean that it's out of character for a Starfleet captain to be nuts. You, I you, guess you know what I mean, but I, I, I like my point true, being, is they're that, not the main focus of the show in other Star Treks, and that's that's one thing that makes it different, right? But then you also have Saru, who's a very by the rules kind of guy. Mm-hmm. My point being is that it's very clear start that characters like Burnham and you're right, your assessment of them is accurate, but characters like Burnham and Lorca mm-hmm. are not normal yeah, in Starfleet. That's in fact, right. it's quite the opposite, and that's they're doing they're shocking you on purpose. Uh, with that, so I don't because because that's the argument is that well that's why it doesn't feel like Star Trek bullshit. Th- that's exactly what it, it's like. I mean they're they're treating Star Trek exactly how it should be and how it has been, especially in that time frame. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> yeah, I mean it it strikes you from the very beginning that this is a very different Star Trek. Yeah. Um, it, it 
Another thing that feels really different about it is that it takes place in the time frame almost similar to, it's like right before the original series. It's supposed to take place like 10, 10 years before the original series. But the just the look and feel of it is is actually quite different. You know, it yeah. doesn't, the uniforms are different. You know, the, the ship looks different. The CGI is just way better, obviously, because you know that the original series was made in the 1960s, so it's totally different. So, you know, that's that's different. They changed, the, the Klingons are different. The Klingons are a major, um, pl- you know, plot line, story line. And uh, they look different than the other Star Trek series, which is kind of throwing you for a loop. How do you feel about that? And they Klingons? don't explain it. I would be fine with it if they explained it. Maybe they'll explain it later in the season, but mm-hmm. they... Uh, and I don't like this season break thing either. Like, supposedly they're going to take a break, like a season break, a mid-season break for oh, Christmas yeah. and stuff. Yeah. I do not want a break. I want to <laughs> see it every Sunday. God damn it. I'm so addicted to it now. <laughs> so I don't like that. Um it's kind of weird that you have to pay for CVS All Access, and that's the only place you can get it. And it's it's almost like you don't just get Star Trek, but you also get the After Trek, you know, wrap up show where they have that's the, to the get you to watch it members live. on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, so it's like that feels different too. That it's not really on. It's not on like network television. It's like on. It's almost like a Netflix thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Netflix actually did pay for the production. Right? Well, that, they, that's a theory. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, there's a lot of things about it that feel really different than all the other Star Treks that I've sort of known and loved. But nevertheless, it's it's a good show. It's a little more magical, too. That's another thing that's different. Like, there's this thing about the about following a network of mycelia, like, across the galaxy. And it, like, leads you. It's like the veins and arteries that connect the galaxy. And you <laughs> can go anywhere. And you need this, like, magical tardigrade. And, like, the characters are quoting Alice in Wonderland. And it's really, like, trippy at times. It's like somebody just took some mushrooms and thought it was really cool and thought they would integrate that into Star Trek, you know? And, like... <laughs> So it, it's a little magical and mystical at some points. More, and, and then there's the thing with the the Katra, the soul of the Vulcans that is like connected with Michael because she was raised by Vulcans, and she's connected with um, Sarek, who's Spock's father, and her, you know, yeah, her adopted so father. The the two arguments that I that I have sympathy for mm-hmm. are yeah, the Klingons are weird. But like you said, as long as they explain it at some point, I think it'd be all right. Yeah. Um, but I'm rolling with it. And the other is like the fact that the Katra, that a Vulcan Katra, I don't have a problem with the Vulcan Katra, whatever, I'll deal with that. Uh, it's been around when Star Trek for so long. But the idea that somehow it like transcends time and space and mm-hmm. all this shit, like that's, that's, I was like, okay, now you're stretching things. Like now you're just going way too far. Hey, we're all connected, man, and all that when we're not. Yeah, and, and Star it Trek's been so has good this about weird, that. like mystical new age, like we're all connected, man. Yeah, Let's because take we're some not. mushrooms and yeah. trip. It, yeah, and like like Paul Stamets, the character, the engineer, the um, the scientist, um, he like connects himself to the mycelial network, and then he becomes all like it's like somebody who did acid for the first time, basically. Like, yeah, which is he's funny. Yeah, admittedly, like he, the character is very funny. Yeah, but it's like it's a little bit too like okay, drugs. We get it. Like you like drugs, <laughs> writers like drugs. <laughs> um, that's yeah, that's kind of an interesting uh, part of it. I like the the um, the LGBT friendliness of it at first blush. Like, oh yeah, there's yeah. there's some gay characters and gay relationships on the show, which I definitely like. Um, 
I like that. I actually like what they going back to the Klingons, like they changed the look of the Klingons a lot, but they also changed the fact that a lot of the dialogue and, and the scenes are in Klingon language. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think that was a great move because if you have this whole language already made up of Klingon, why not take advantage of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so I really like that those scenes are taking place in the Klingon language because it makes it seem more authentic. And, uh, yeah, uh, overall, like, it really just draws you in. Every episode is interesting. Every episode is, like, leaves you wanting more. Um, the first two, releasing them as a, as, a, as a sort of a package that's a prequel, I think was a good move, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it really gets you hooked on the story in, you know, more than just one episode. Like, yeah. if they had just given you one hour, it's really not enough to get you hooked, I think. So I like that they did the first two episodes as a prequel package. Um yeah, I, I hope we have more double headers soon where there's like more than 40 minutes that you get on a Sunday night. <laughs> did get confirmed for season two, which is very okay, exciting. Okay, that's great. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, which I, I think is really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It's so engaging. Like, mm-hmm. it, it hooks you in. And even if I even if I felt that it didn't feel like Star Trek, I, I can totally see where it fits in. And it's actually ticking a lot of boxes of where I wanted Star Trek to go for a long time. Uh, kind of that darker edge. Uh, like Star Trek uh, Nemesis did, the movie Nemesis. Um, even if I, like, I would still be like, well, but this is a fucking awesome show. Like, mm-hmm. this is great science fiction. Um, I, You know, if there's anything, I'll admit it, if there's anything that makes it feel not Star Trek-y, it is the trippiness of it. It is like, yeah. it is like Stamets, like, you know, kind of being, because, you know, not, not that, so, like, Harlan Ellison, back with City on the Edge Forever in the original series, he wanted to, because you can read the comic book where he, he uh, 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 put his original script on the line or, you know, like introduced his original script. And there was supposed to be like drug deals going on on the original Enterprise, you know. <laughs> uh, so so it's not like the idea of having drugs in Star Trek is a new thing by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I almost feel like Star Trek sort of always had like kind of an anti-drug, hyper-rationalist kind of message to it. Yeah. And... So for, so for seemingly for drugs to like suddenly be okay, I mean it's fine. Like I, I, I have no problem with it. I think it's actually kind of, kind of, kind of fun. Um, that that doesn't necessarily feel like Star Trek. That these people aren't so straight laced. Not even as straight laced as you know Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. Yeah. Uh, so th- that'd be the one part that doesn't feel like it. But that's not the part that anybody's complaining about. They're, they're complaining about everything else, which again I think feels and fits perfectly with Star Trek. <laughs> So wait, what are the things that people are complaining about? Like the uniforms being different, and well, a lot of the techno, a lot of that stuff. There was the book uh, "Desperate Hours" that I keep bringing up by David Mack. He explains all that, and he does a great job of explaining it. Um, no, just the attitudes of the characters, like the fact that Lorca's a bad guy, you mm-hmm. know, uh, that Burnham is, you know, is like a mutineer, and a lot of. I mean, even that's not like a new idea. Like Tom Paris was in prison, you know, yeah. when you first meet him in mm-hmm. Voyager. Uh, I mean, you know, and then there's, and I won't even get into this. I talked about it on the Patreon episode. There was this huge argument about um, that the the way the spore drive works with the tardigrade is bad science. And I'm like, if you have a problem with that, but you have no problem, and that doesn't, and that that makes you not want to watch the show, and yet you're okay every time that transporter activates, yeah. you're a fucking sicko. Like, like you're you're insane uh, because that is the worst science. There there are massive. I wouldn't call them a sicko. Well, well, yeah, but I mean, this is the thing. So, so the transporter is scientifically implausible. Okay, 
And it also has massive ethical ramifications because right. is that actually you that's beaming down? Is it a copy? Mm-hmm. And is every time you step in the transporter, does it kill you? Yeah. You know, I mean, like these are huge ethical ramifications that the transporter brings along that you suspend your disbelief about. And I've been doing it for 36 years of my life, you know, <laughs> that I have suspended my disbelief on that. I'm pretty sure I can suspend my disbelief on a fucking tardigrade. You know, accessing, uh, uh, you know, a Never mind the fact network. that it's, like, macro-sized, right? Like, tardigrades are microscopic. Yeah, and this yeah, thing's like huge, right? The thing right. is big enough to trample you and kill somebody. And it does. And, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I didn't like that they killed off the character of Lowry, the, the security chief. Yeah. It seemed like there was so much more there, and then they just killed her off. But I guess they had to make way for Ash Tyler. Well, and it was shocking. Like, yeah. I mean, it de- like it shocked the hell out of me. When she died, I was like, oh. You know, and, and I think that needed to happen because it's like, guess what? This is serious. Mm-hmm. You know, this is Star Trek where people are going are gonna to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, but overall, you're loving it. The Doctor does nothing. That's the other thing. Like, the Doctor, yes, he's, like, the partner of Paul Stamets. Like, but... He doesn't do anything medically heroic. He's just like, nope, I can't save him. You know, like, <laughs> it's like literally does nothing. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's time. There's time to. to <laughs> I hope those he kinds gets to actually do something. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what happens tomorrow night. Apparently, tomorrow night's episode is phenomenal. Um, Where do you keep hearing about the previews? Because oh, I go to there's a website I go to called TrekCore. Um, I should go to that website. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Actually, I recommend everybody go to that because they do like the canon connections for each episode and they tell you where, yeah, actually this is Star Trek because they reference this, 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 they put this here and they they make it very particular. Uh, And I I think it's a tremendous website. So anyway, uh, Stephanie, anything else uh, you want to, you want to share about Star Trek Discovery? Otherwise it's getting late. It is getting late. Um, I just like that it's STD, and Brian and I enjoy STDs every Sunday. Damn it. (laughs) They've made it very clear that it would be DSC. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, uh, that that's definitely going to be the longest running joke for a while. So, I mean, yeah. you know, you know, actually, that that doesn't, you know, what bothers me. That doesn't bother me. What really bothers me is that the like the uh, uh, the fatigues that that they wear, yeah. when dressing down, uh, are t-shirts, black t-shirts. I like that, mm-hmm. but it says disco. Yeah, instead of discovery, it just says disco. Yeah, and I'm like that's weird. all the words. That you had to choose. Mm-hmm. You, I mean, just have it say disc. I don't care. But yeah. Disco. Yeah. Oh, come on. I mean, maybe it's just another drug reference. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. That's that's, that's kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, thought about that really anyway. Is, yeah, there really is a lot of drugs. Well, whatever. I'll wear one of those shirts. But just <laughs> disco. Come on. Like, yeah. if I went to a metal show with that on, I'd be in so much trouble. But. That's why you wear anyway, your Sovereign Tech shirt to the metal show. That That's a good point. Be the future. So, <laughs> How do people get a Sovereign Tech shirt? Store.sovereigntech.com. You just go there and They're you get awesome your hookup. awesome shirts. Mine so. fits perfectly, and it's very soft and good quality. So you definitely want to um, check that out. Yeah. And they're beautiful designs as well. That's a cool slogan, be the future. Yeah, and beautiful people wearing them. So um <laughs> and anyway, uh Stephanie, thank you so much for yeah, being Thanks for on. having me on the show. And that was for, really fun. I love the discussion about the pyramids and the Egypt. I'm so glad you got deep into it because I think everybody likes that, including me. Well, I feel way more comfortable when you're the one here or when when you're here to make sure I don't sound so crazy. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, you know, celebrating episode 250, not that, you know, 250 needs to be a big 
celebration. I imagine the next big celebration should just be episode 500 or something. Uh, but, uh, yeah, 250 episodes been a hell of a ride, and you've been on a lot of them, uh, love. So thank Aww. you so much for that. And uh, yeah. everybody else out there, if you want to become so a patron, with you. thank you. If you want to become a patron, just go to SovereignTech.com, S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. If you want to find more of Stephanie, of course, Let's Talk Bitcoin.com, smvoice.info. And, of course, we do our own show together, SexAndScienceHour.com. Sex Woo! Uh, so check that out, and I will see you on the other side. just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.